Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Is the Denver International Airport a portal to hell? I doubt it, but some people think so. DIA is a very popular building amongst the conspiratorial crowd. Despite not being an ancient castle or some lost Egyptian temple, it has captured a lot of imaginations. It opened at the same time as the O.J. Simpson trial was on America's collective minds when Hold My Hand was sending Hootie and the Blowfish straight up into the Billboard Top 10. We know for sure that the Denver International Airport is one of the largest airports in the world, also one of the busiest. And some people also claim to know that it's a front for some satanic new world order wheelings and dealings. What really lies beneath the DIA? Baggage handlers, storage, offices, electrical panels, plumbing? Boring. Boo! How about reptilian humanoid slave masters? How about a hidden city for the global elite? Okay, now we're talking. A lot of conspiracy theories to go over today. From Freemasons to the New World Order to UFOs and hidden satanic dicks. It really does seem like all roads lead to the Denver airport. Or do they? Is the DIA part of an apocalyptic plan created by the Illuminati? Or is it just an odd-looking place to travel into, through, or out of the Denver area? Lead us to the truth, Nimrod. Let's dig under the Denver airport and see what we can find today on Time Suck. This is Michael McDonald, and you're listening to Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, Meat Sacks. Welcome to the Cult of the Curious, or welcome back. May Nimrod guide our minds today. May Nimrod keep you from falling into the, into the disorientating uh, pit of the endlessly paranoid. Disorientating? Disorienting. Ah, why? Why did I put that word up towards the front? That always confuses me, which is kind of ironic since it's a word that, you know, can mean confusion. Uh, may Lucifina. I'll let you laugh at all this today. May Bojangles keep your luggage from getting lost. May Michael motherfucking McDonald be all you hear during your layover. I'm Dan Cummins, Suckmaster, Illuminati shill. 
New World Order puppet, Dark Lord Aaron Boy, and you are listening to Time Suck. Sweet alien abduction tea in the store today at badmagicmerch.com. How fitting, considering today's topic. Uh, very cool design. Well done, Logan Keith. Uh, really just one quick announcement and then into the show. Uh, apologies to those of you who have waited a while for out-of-stock items. Just know that we're working on it. Uh, hard to track which items are going to be out of stock right now because of the print-on-demand nature of our business combined with COVID. Uh, the only way we can kick out the prolific amount of fresh new designs we do for a company of our size is to not have to warehouse everything. Uh, our warehouse provider does have large stockpiles, usually in-house, of the products that we use, but COVID messing up supply chains, and so they just don't have as much as normal. You know, if one of their other clients, a, a big client, puts out some new hot product and that drains their stock, then there isn't any left for us until that stock is replenished and replenishing times vary substantially just right now. Uh, we switched the system a few months before COVID hit and it was working so good. Uh, we expect it to work really, really good again when the pandemic is finally over. And we do, uh, uh, or, or I guess I should say, it is working right now, you know, really well for most people but I know not for everybody. So just wanted to address that. If you have questions or concerns, email store at badmagicproductions.com to reach our dedicated customer service team who typically respond within 48 hours. Uh, recorded this one last week, so don't have the Bad Magic Productions charity of the month picked out yet for, for February or the amount. Uh, I'll announce that next week. Uh, right now, let's just get to some showbiz. The Denver airport was built by the New World Order. The Denver airport contains the international headquarters of the Illuminati. Collectively, the art installations of the Denver International Airport point towards an impending planned apocalypse hiding in plain sight. The Denver International Airport is built atop a massive underground city built to house the global elite uh, where it'll allow them to survive the impending apocalypse that they, of course, will bring about. The Denver airport is not the world headquarters for the New World Order, but is the headquarters of the Western sector of the United States under the fascist global state of the New World Order. These are just some of the many conspiracies that surround the Denver airport. A lizard Illuminati expert, king of critical thinking, David Icke, wrote that last one in his 1999 masterpiece, The Biggest Secret, the book that will change the world. Uh, in this very respected, critically acclaimed uh, literary work of art, Heavy sarcasm. Uh, Ike even ties the building of the Denver airport to the British royal family having Princess Diana murdered. Not everyone can jump over that many mental hurdles and connect quite that many dots. But not everyone is a dot-connecting, mental hurdle-jumping son of a bitch like David Ike. Uh, Ike also wrote, according to one of his uh, many contacts, according to one of his many contacts, that there is a deep underground base beneath the Denver airport. That it goes down at least eight levels. At least, it includes a 4.5 square mile underground city and additionally, a vast secret base. That city's almost 3,000 acres, one-fifth the size of all of Manhattan, three and a half times the size of Central Park. And it's under the Denver airport. And there's a vast base also down there in addition to this city. Incredible, really incredible stuff. Other contacts, trusted sources of Ike, have told him that this base and this city are already populated by large numbers of human slaves, many of them children, scared, abused meat sacks, enslaved by ancient extraterrestrial shape-shifting reptilians, the Anunnaki, who also live down there, running shit. Aliens who, you know, sometimes take on human form, mate with royal bloodlines, control our media, 
who have subjected humanity since at least Babylonian times, obviously. Oh, you didn't know that? You don't remember that from school? Hmm, guess we read uh, different books. What else is down there? Probably another airport to take short underground flights between the underground city and the underground military base. And then maybe another underground city under the first underground city and another underground base way beneath the other underground base where whoever controls the lizard people probably live. How deep does it all go? How much string am I going to have to fucking buy to connect everything? What lies beneath the Denver International Airport? It's probably some uh, underground Illuminati version of like Russian dolls. You know, you find one secret only to look inside and there's another secret. And then eventually you just keep going further and further. And, and finally you make it to the center where there's just a single room with a giant desk with a little title plaque on it that says God. And then next to that, there's a handwritten note that says out to lunch. Be back in 30 minutes. But no matter how long you wait, he doesn't come back. Sorry, I took it too far. That kind of, this kind of topic today can really twist your mind around if you're not careful. Oh, in the Eastern Sector's New World Headquarters, uh, that would be Atlanta's airport, according to Ike. Don't want to don't leave that out. Don't want to point out that uh, Denver Airport is the headquarters for the West <laughs> and not let people know where you're supposed to go if you're towards the East. You know, when the apocalypse comes, you, you need to know where to head if you're an American sucker. Uh, both headquarters do have Starbucks and smoothie shops, so pretty sweet. Armageddon might not be too bad. Yeah, going to get weird today. Time suckers. <laughs> of course we are. We're stuck in the Denver International Airport. All the weird shit people think is going on there. Uh, fun to suck this conspiracy. This uh, Really, this web of multiple conspiracies. It's very insane and overall pretty harmless compared to, you know, like uh, anti-vaccination conspiracies, QAnon conspiracies. It's a fun one. Uh, very unique episode today. Nice addition to the catalog. We've never done a whole deep dive on a building before. We've definitely sucked on a lot of buildings as part of larger topics in the past, you know, from pyramids around the world to castles, cult mansions, theme parks, <laughs> Roy Disney, skyscrapers, government buildings, uh, murder houses, you know, have come up a fair amount. We've also sucked several mysterious places like Oak Island, Roanoke, Pedophile Island, Japanese, uh, Japan's Suicide Forest. Uh, there have been a couple other sucks on areas like Skinwalker Ranch, Area 51, a couple of places similar to the Denver International Airport in the sense of how many conspiracies center around them. Area 51, obviously being the, the American king of conspiracies. In comparison to all these locations, an airport at first glance seems kind of tame, doesn't it? Airports are normally just so ordinary, boring, quotidian, to get a bit fancy with the vocab. Airports, not uh, something like a murder house, not, not a cult mansion. They're big, busy, and incredibly safe structures loaded with security. They're places where you actively hope nothing interesting happens. And generally, thanks to all that security, something interesting doesn't happen, which makes them the perfect facade to hide some dark shit behind. Wake up, sheeple! So what's the deal with Denver? Safe, boring, giant airport or giant cover for something related to the takeover of the human race or both? Uh, before we really dive into the conspiracies, let's first get to know this place. Let's get to know what the lying, conspiring, fascist media spin doctors, the one world government bought and sold fucking puppets, are going to allow us to know. Then after we uh, get our heads around how the supposedly benign airport was built and how it operates, we'll dig into the real truth, won't we? All the dirt uncovered by some of the world's leading minds, like David Icke. Uh, sound good? Okay, great. I hope today's suck really opens your eyes, okay? For once. Tired of all you sheeple eating mainstream media's bullshit. What if I wasn't kidding <laughs> when I was saying stuff like that? What if this was the episode where I finally lost completely my mind? 
What an ups- what an ups- <laughs> what an upsetting and abrupt left turn that would be for many of you longtime suckers, you know, for me to debunk outlandish conspiracies, preach the importance of critical thinking literally for years, and then today just suddenly be like, I don't know. When you step back and look at it, you know, when you really can see the whole forest, you know, outside of the trees and connect the dots, it does does feel pretty pretty legit. I just I can't fight it anymore. I've I've, <laughs> I've sold you the wrong bill of goods before today. No more podcast. I have to get to Denver. I have to find a way and uncover this shit before my family and yours are living in cages in one of the many evil underground lairs of Denver Airport. All right. It's been a fun run. That's not going to happen today. Uh, (laughs) uh, If you came here for the first time today and you're not familiar with the tone of this show, you're hoping to hear me talk about how many of the Denver Airport conspiracies are very legitimate. And if we don't want to outright believe them, we should at least strongly consider that they uh, shed some light on some potential truths. Well, please keep listening. You need to hear these logic checks more than anyone else. Uh, A lot of the mysteries surrounding DIA started before it was even built. Many people didn't understand why the massive airport was built in the first place, seeing as how there already was a fully functioning airport closer to downtown Denver in the Stapleton area. Before closing in 1995, Stapleton International Airport had been Colorado's premier airport for 65 years. Planes landed, planes took off, Baggage was loaded and unloaded. What was the problem? Well, the Stapleton International Airport was located where the Stapleton neighborhood is now. Seven square miles of runways, buildings, about 10 minutes from downtown Denver. So much easier for travelers like me who want to get to their downtown hotels quick when they land. Now the airport's, you know, almost 30 miles from downtown. You have to drive over an hour with any kind of traffic. Or it can take you 40-ish minutes uh, via the light rail. It's not 10 minutes. Doesn't seem better, does it? So again, why build this new, less convenient when it comes to getting downtown airport if the goal was not to construct a front for human enslaving lizard people? Well, apparently many Denver locals in the 1980s and 90s were getting pretty sick of the increasing amounts of air traffic noise and automobile traffic congestion created by the Stapleton Airport. Crazy. Crazy that people would be unhappy and complain about being directly under the flight path of a very busy airport that was right next to them. So weird. Uh, If you haven't experienced living in a house right next to an airport or an apartment, you know, whatever, uh, it is super annoying. I haven't lived right next to one, but I did once stay with some friends of mine living in uh, El Segundo. I stayed there for two weeks in my early 20s. They lived in this upstairs apartment in a building right off of Imperial Avenue. You could throw a baseball and hit the runway. And when planes would fly over their apartment uh, to take off or land, it, it didn't matter how loud you had the TV cranked up. You weren't hearing shit for like a, like a good five, 10 seconds, so loud. And for such a short amount of time, you know, that might not seem like a big deal, except this happened a few times an hour, pretty much, you know, every hour from about 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. with a few more red-eye flights, you know, sprinkled in those other hours. Maybe I'm more sensitive to loud noise than the average person. Uh, I once lived near a, a train crossing and fucking hated it so much, but those flights would wake me up. And back in the days before everyone had DVRs or streaming-based TV, when you couldn't just rewind everything, you would just end up not knowing what the fuck was going on, (laughs) like what people were saying on the show you were watching. And and if that doesn't seem too annoying, uh, imagine that in a movie theater, right? Imagine every, I don't know, you know, 30 minutes or so, three, four, five times, you know, during a movie, the usher would just come in with a megaphone, just walk in and just, just scream for like 10 seconds. And then be like, enjoy your movie. Walk back out. Really not fun. Imagine dealing with that day in and day out for years. I can see how that might make a lot of people beg their local politicians. You know, might make them sign petitions to please move the noisy ass airport out into the boonies outside of town. 
I'll just point this all out to illustrate that it wasn't weird at all for a new airport to be built by a city that already had an airport that worked just fine. It, it actually happens all the time for numerous valid reasons. A lot of America's older airports were built when planes were smaller and slower. They didn't need as much runway to stop or take off. And because the city had grown around them, they didn't own enough land all the time uh, to expand properly without, you know, fucking up heavily populated neighborhoods. So then a new airport would have to be built and they would build it out of town a little ways where there'd be more land to buy, less people to annoy. Uh, That exact scenario played out in Kansas City in 1972. I've flown into that airport a ton as well. Uh, There were other good logical non-conspiratorial related reasons to move the Denver airport. According to DIA supporters, Denver's old Stapleton Airport had severely limited gate space. And like Kansas City's old airport, Charles B. Wheeler downtown airport, the runways were small and unable to deal efficiently with Denver's erratic weather and wind patterns and bigger and faster planes. Because of Denver's somewhat centralized geographic location west of the Mississippi, it had become a western hub for U.S. domestic travel, some international travel, and was just receiving a lot more traffic. And delays in Denver could now butterfly effect their way into jacking up air traffic, you know, nationwide. So in short, it made a lot of sense to modernize. And it made sense to go big with a much larger airport built for a lot more traffic. But then what did not make sense to a lot of people was how the DIA looked once it was built. And I will say, it definitely does not look like your typical airport. The signature DIA profile, which represents the snow-capped Rocky Mountains, was first hand-sketched by Curtis W. Fentress, uh, the mayor at the time. Uh, Frederico Pena was looking for an iconic design for the Denver airport, something in the in the vein, the memorable vein of the, uh, like the Sydney Opera House. Something that people could look at and think of, you know, Denver. Something that would stand out in travelers' minds, make them think of Denver after they left. Something to, you know, uh, have, have people talk about it. And he certainly did end up with something memorable. Uh, I have flown through Denver easily over a hundred times in my years of touring. <laughs> I do remember the first time I looked out the window and saw the terminal just thinking like, what the fuck is that? Uh, The airport's Jeppesen Terminal is covered in these giant teepee-like tents made out of woven fiberglass coated with Teflon. Uh, I'll describe them in a little bit more detail in a moment. Adding to the strange visual of DIA is its massive size. Such a giant complex of structures and runways encompassing an area of 53 square miles. That's twice the size of Manhattan. It's the third biggest airport in the world next to Beijing, China's, and uh, Damam, uh, Saudi Arabia's airports. So, you know, biggest airport by far in North America. Why build it so big? Uh, clearly because they're hiding something, right? Can't just be an airport. They couldn't have to build it that big just so they wouldn't have to build a third airport anytime soon, right? No, that's exactly what they did. At least that's the official reasoning. You know who doesn't seem to think there's uh, anything nefarious or shady about DIA's size or look? Architects. Architects seem to love the look and the functionality of DIA. It was designed with an easily expandable midfield terminal and concourses, creating one of the most efficient airfields in the world. Uh, Designed by Curtis W. Fentress of Fentress Architects, who had built several other airport installations around the world, including the Madrid-Spain International Airport, which has won numerous design awards. Uh, His firm has won, won over 400 awards for innovation and design excellence. Uh, He designed LAX's Tom Bradley International Terminal. And that terminal has seriously fucked up LAX traffic for for years, but uh, he didn't design the roads around it. And if you've ever been in that terminal, it is pretty damn luxurious. Uh, Curtis has has based his architectural business in Denver since 1980. 
So he was a local hire as well. So his hire really makes sense. He's an award-winning architect from the area who has experience, a lot of experience designing, you know, heralded airports. It would have been weird not to hire him. And Curtis's vision for the airport, uh, it was ambitious, uh, at least in the world of airport design, a visionary, and also totally in line with his other projects. So it's not some obvious nod to the Illuminati kind of outlier. It's on brand for that designer's looks. Uh, let's dig a little deeper into Curtis's nothing nefarious about it design now, starting with a little uh, further dig into DIA's strange roof. The roof is made of those giant white tents uh, made of fiberglass I described. They're reportedly as thin as a credit card. A steel cable system, similar in design to the one used for the Brooklyn Bridge, supports this fabric roof. There's 34 total peaks meant to resemble the snow-capped mountains in Colorado, and according to the airport's spokespeople, to evoke the early history of Colorado when Native American teepees were located across the Great Plains. The roof is maintained by airport employees and contractors who are certified rope access technicians. They dangle 150 feet over the airport floor to clean and maintain these tents. The original expected lifespan of the roof uh, was supposed to be about 25 years, meaning they would have expired, you know, like now-ish, uh, since the roof was actually completed in 1993. So why hasn't it collapsed? Because black magic, wake up. There's no other answer because slave labor, the lizard people probably use the bones of small children enslaved in the underground city to maintain that evil tent roof. I don't know. I don't know why it hasn't collapsed. Uh, I think they've just taken really good care of it. Uh, the DIA told local press in 2019, they've been able to extend the roof tent's lifespan and don't expect to replace the roof in their next five-year financial plan. Okay. Very suspicious. Now let's take a peek under the old tent roof of the Jepson terminal, currently DIA's only terminal. Look at some other stuff. Uh, this terminal basically includes all of the airport's operations. There's space for passenger drop-off, passenger pickup, airline check-in and baggage check, baggage claim, security screening, and access to all the gates. Like Germany, between 1945 and 1989, the terminal is split between Terminal East and Terminal West. Unlike Germany during those years, the Eastern Terminal is not stocked with secret police who will stop at nothing to keep you from defecting to the West Terminal, like releasing attack dogs on you, shooting you, Filling the no man's land between terminals with landmines. Thank God. That would really make tight connections so much more stressful. <laughs> you imagine? Like, I mean, I know it's ridiculous, but just, fuck, fuck, my flight's delayed. My layover's, it's only 45 minutes now. Shit. They're going to start boarding my next flight 10 minutes after we land. It's going to be a miracle if I catch it. I have to run down 20 gates, climb a wall, make it over that damn razor wire, make it past those German shepherds and tower snipers, tiptoe through the landmines, Catch my train, hustle past more landmines, more snipers, more fucking dogs, climb back over the wall, run past about 10 more gates, and I have to drag my carry-on through all that bullshit. Definitely not going to have time to grab a Chick-fil-A number one with an Arnold Palmer. Damn you, East German airport communists. I digress. I really, really digress there. Uh, the Jeppesen Terminal was named after L. Ray Borges Jeppesen who developed flight charts and wrote the uh, Jep Jeppesen Airway Manual. He was born on January 28, 1907 in Lake Charles, Louisiana. His parents were lizard people, maybe. Or maybe normal immigrants from Denmark, you choose. I don't know. I never met him, you know? I never got to look him in the eye and see which way they blinked. As a child, Jeppesen would spend hours watching eagles fly, and flying became his obsession. In 1921, 14-year-old Jeppesen got his first taste of flying, when a barnstormer took him up in a Curtis JN4 Jenny for a 10-minute flight for four bucks, uh, equivalent to just about 60 bucks now. And apparently that flight really made quite the impression. Uh, in 1925, at the age of 18, he joined Tex Rankin's Flying Circus as a ticket taker, a prop turner, 
a wing walker, no thanks, and an aerial acrobat, hard no thanks. He soloed after two hours and 50 minutes of flying lessons and then purchased his own Jenny for 500 bucks using money he borrowed from customers on his newspaper route. Uh, dude had a passion for soaring through the air on a 1920s plane. You'd have to pay me about half a million dollars to just climb into today. Love jets, fucking hate prop planes. They freak me out. Uh, 1930, Jepson joined Boeing Air Transport as a normal as an airmail pilot. And in the days before GPS, pilots were no pun, no pun intended, uh, winging it. This is so crazy to me. They literally used roadmaps and just looked for landmarks to get to places. Like there was there was no checking in with air traffic control because there wasn't any air traffic control. <laughs> there was just I was ah man was I supposed to turn left at the second big barn or the third? Uh, and Jefferson would change all that. He bought a ten cent notebook and started writing down detailed notes about his routes. He even climbed hills to determine their height, collected telephone numbers of farmers willing to provide weather reports. Word got around after a while about his little black book, and soon he was given copies to fellow pilots. Jefferson was the first to design in-route procedures, letdown procedures, approach procedures, and the all-important missed approach procedure. He was a super superhero in the arena of flight and avionics, and he moved to Denver in 1941 because that's what his New World Order puppet masters told him to do, all part of their long con. I don't know why he moved to Denver. Uh, I can't ask him because he died in his home in 1996. A statue honoring Jefferson, now on level five of the airport, arrivals. Uh, his name is on the terminal because he lived in Denver and he was a huge figure in the world of commercial flight travel. So again, you know, things are adding up. Everything is seeming to check out. Uh, <laughs> almost too well, <laughs> really, if you if you think about it. Interesting. Uh, getting deeper into the airport or going further into the gates of hell, if you prefer, we get to the DIA's three concourses. And I should probably throw out some quick uh, terms here, definitions, uh, uh, for some of this, uh, an airport terminal is the building at an airport where passengers transfer between ground transportation and the facilities that allow them to board and disembark from the aircraft. Uh, within the terminal, passengers purchase tickets, transfer their luggage, and go through security. Uh, concourse is a building that provides access to the airplanes. This term can be confusing because sometimes it is used interchangeably with terminal. Uh, inside the terminal, or sometimes the concourse, uh, several gates where planes park and passengers wait to board. Uh, sometimes there's just one gate. If your airport is super small and terrible because no one ever wants to visit your dilapidated shithole of a town. Uh, not sure about that one gate uh, definition. It feels harsh. Can't remember what encyclopedia I, I found that one in. Uh, the Denver International Airport has uh, three concourses, A, B, and C, beyond security screening that provide access to the airline gates. Uh, gates B and C accessible via train only. International flights arrive at the A gates, which can be reached by walking the passenger bridge or by taking the train from the terminal. And check this out. Uh, this is really important. I feel like I just connected a lot of dots that no one else uh, had been able to connect. And I'm kind of proud of myself. The A concourse has only one Starbucks, while the B concourse has three Starbucks. <laughs> C only has one. What's going on there? You know? But the A concourse does have a Dunkin' Donuts, but neither the B or C concourses do. So what's that about? Right? And not done. The A concourse has a Lavazza espresso shop but no other concourse does. <laughs> okay. I see you lizards. How does that tie into the new world order? How does that connect to agenda 21 or chemtrails? What's QAnon doing about, you know, there is it serving up adrenochrome, you know, marked as an espresso game set match or something. I don't know. I'm back now. Let's talk about that passenger bridge. You can use to walk, hop on some moving walkways yeah, to the A concourse. Along this walkway, a lot of people have reported paranormal feelings. 
Mm -hmm. How weird is that? Multiple people have had weird feelings inside that part of the airport. So that can't be, you know, just nothing. Uh, the bridge offers a close-up view of airplanes as they move to their gates, has views of the Rocky Mountains to the west, high plains to the east, and uh, and that's it. That's pretty much it as far as the bridge is concerned. As far as, far as we know, <laughs> uh, the real heart of the airport is the airfield where the planes take off and land. Airfield is arranged in a pinwheel formation around the midfield terminal and concourses. Uh, the DIA's 327-foot control tower, one of the tallest in North America. <laughs> 327 feet. Really? Can't believe they just broadcast their intentions like that so blatantly. I think I just found my first undeniable Illuminati clue. 327. Come on. Use your brain. Add those numbers up. You get 12. 3 plus 2 plus 7. 12. Go ahead. Double check my math. Four threes. 43. Who wears that number on their jersey? Think. Andrew Van Ginkle. Miami Dolphins linebacker. When was he drafted? 2019. What the fuck? Add those numbers up. Back to 12. 2, 1, 9. Coincidence? Come on. How many pass deflections did Andrew have in his rookie season this past year? Three. We keep coming back to three, don't we? Too much for coincidence. How many forced fumbles did he have? Ha! Three. Look it up. Touchdown. Add those two numbers to 12. Now you have 18. Do you see where this is going yet? Have you opened your third eye yet? Are your chakras finally clean or vibrating or raising their frequencies or some shit? How many sixes are in 18? Three, six, six, six. It's right there. You just have to look. JK, gosh dang. <laughs> no one has assigned any uh, numerological significance to the height of the air traffic control tower, as far as I know. Not yet. <laughs> maybe, maybe one person will hear this and be like, no, he's right. I know he thinks he's kidding, but he's right. Uh, the layout of the DIA airfield allows independent flow of aircraft to and from each runway without any queue or overlap with other runways, as well as allowing air traffic patterns to be adjusted to avoid crosswinds regardless of wind direction. Uh, additional runways can be added as needed up to a maximum of 12 <laughs> runways. Okay, back to the four threes again. Huh? Uh, the real point to make with all this is there's lots of room for runway expansion. Or for future future FEMA prison camps, you know. Uh, but seriously, the DIA is very future-proofed. Uh, DIA's sixth runway is currently the longest commercial precision instrument runway in all of North America at a length of 16,000 feet. Big enough for, you know, lizards, people, spaceships to safely dock. You tell me. Compared to other DIA runways, the extra 4,000-foot length allows fully loaded jumbo jets such as the Boeing 747 or Airbus A380 to take off in Denver's mile-high altitude during summer months thereby providing unrestricted global access for any airline using DIA. Okay, that's the official statement, convenient. Uh, the DIA connects to the Westin Hotel, which opened in 2015. The hotel was designed to resemble wings to build on the idea of flight and aviation to frame and accent the acclaimed tent-like roof of Jefferson Terminal. And what do conspiracy theorists have to say about the DIA Westin? Uh, nothing, nothing yet, as far as I know. Uh, let's move on to the huge airport's parking lot. DIA has 30 acres of parking lots with more than 44,000 public parking spaces, more than 23 football fields worth of parking, plenty of parking for lots of New World Order soldiers or cars. And then there's DIA's oil field. This actually is pretty unusual and uh, genius. The Denver International Airport or the Illuminati uh, makes millions of dollars each year from more than 70 oil and gas wells on the expansive property. Uh, the wells generated $2.3 million in profit in 2017 when oil prices were higher over the last decade. DIA's annual oil and gas income reached several times that year's amount. 
eh, I wish I had an oil field. How awesome would that be? If you just had a bunch of land and that land just paid for your life, which I know is reality for some people. Just oil and natural gas harvesting, so fascinating to me that way. It's like, it's like real life money trees, those pumps. Yeah, you just get to harvest that money, black gold. Pull it out of the ground from under your land. Sounds like a pretty sweet gig. Uh, do they have any oil fields uh, or do they have those oil fields maybe to power an underground city and military base? So some people think. Uh, no one super credible thinks that from what I can tell, but, but some people do. Uh, now for a few more random assorted DIA facts and stats. Uh, it first opened on February 28th, 1995. It was supposed to have opened over a year prior to that, but there were a number of setbacks. Uh, United Airlines changed the requirements they wanted several times. That's their big hub. Uh, there, were, uh, there was a strike by metal workers. There were budget problems. The airport went way over budget. The project was supposed to cost only around $1.5 billion, huh, only. Uh, ended up costing around $5.6 billion. And that, of course, led to a, a lot of hyper-speculation about what kind of shady secrets that extra money was being used for. Uh, numerous contractors were fired during the construction process. Conspiracy theorists surmised that switching contractors so many times made sure that nobody truly understood the real scope of the project. I mean, sure, one contractor might contractor might know about, you know, one level, another might know about so a couple of underground tunnels, but no one was able to put it all together. A handful of construction workers did tell various sources in the press over the years that they've seen questionable structures being built underground as well as extensive tunnels. Tunnels and structures far beyond that of a simple airport. So many secrets. These comments have really fueled conspiracies. Where do all the tunnels go? Well, more on that later. We'll dig into it. Uh, despite these setbacks, the airport, once completed, has won a lot of awards, uh, handled a lot of traffic. It was voted Best Airport in North America by readers of Business Traveler magazine six years in a row, from 2005 to 2010. Named America's Best Run Airport by Time magazine in 2002. Uh, DIA, one of the busiest airports in the world, ranking at times between the 15th or 20th busiest in the world, ranking just behind four other American airports as the busiest in the U.S. Uh, a total of almost 70 million passengers traveled through DIA in 2019 was a record for the airport. It was just over 69 million, actually. DIA's busiest day ever was on July 19th, 2019. A DIA spokesperson said over uh, 227,000 passengers traveled to the airport just that one day. That is pretty insane. At its peak pre-COVID, it employed 35,000 people, which if all those people technically worked for the same company, it would make that company the largest employer in Colorado by far. Uh, the largest employer currently is the University of Colorado Boulder, 13,000. 300 employees, over 20,000 less than DIA, over 3,000 more than the second biggest state employer, Lockheed Martin Space Systems. And the huge employer of DIA, just to reiterate, uh, is massive, how massive, the largest airport in the U.S. by total area. Uh, DIA's land covers, again, yeah, 53 square miles. Uh, you know, it's larger than Manhattan, San Francisco, Boston, Miami, as defined by those, uh, you know, official city limits. Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport, a distant second at 78, or I'm sorry, 30 square miles, 70 square kilometers, uh, roughly two-thirds the size of DIA. The airport's property twice the size of the city of Denver itself. The four airports that are busier than Denver, uh, Hartsfield-Jackson in Atlanta, Chicago's O'Hare, LAX, you know, Los Angeles, Dallas-Fort Worth, all could fit into DIA's property. The Jefferson, the Jefferson Terminal itself sprawls over 1.5 million square feet. Uh, DIA services more than 30 airlines at its peak pre-pandemic flew about 1,600 flights per day, and it can handle much more. It can handle 4,608 flights per day, so a lot of room for growth. So big. Place is so large that its water bill is reportedly $115,000 a month. Few more fun facts. 
a brief history of the land that the DIA sits on, and then we'll move into the conspiracies. Uh, at least one baby has been born inside the airport in the, you know, roughly quarter of a century it's been open. Is that baby the Antichrist? Probably. I'm sure at least a few people out there legitimately think that. Uh, around 48,000 items end up in the airports lost and found every year. Found items have included teddy bears, a big screen TV, a chainsaw, and a six, I'm not making this up, a six foot tall stuffed banana. So, so that's that's where I left it. <laughs> I've been looking for that sexy nana for years. Hey, Lucifina. Uh, moving on, most commonly lost items to end up there are IDs and sunglasses. Oh man, suck. Lose your ID there. Uh, the DIA goes through 400 cases of toilet paper per week. There are 96 rolls a case. That's over 38,000 rolls of toilet paper per week. 38,400. Everybody poops. A lot of people have pooped at DIA. Uh, DIA also reported in 2018 that it goes to 400 cases of paper towels a week. That's 16,500 miles of paper towels a year. All right, enough airport trivia. Let's look at the land the airport sits on and the land around the airport. Stories about this land have helped fuel conspiracies. Adding to the mystery is the dirt on which the Denver airport rests and the dirt near where it rests. Is it cursed? Have old conflicts doomed it? Did the Illuminati choose this wicked land for their dark agendas because it's cursed? Evil seeking evil. Some people think the Denver airport was built on an ancient native burial ground or a battlefield or both. Uh, if we go way back about 5 million years ago, the land the DIA sits on was a prehistoric rainforest. Scientists have found petrified palm trees in the area, as well as other evidence of prehistoric life. Palm trees in Colorado, that is weird to think about. Uh, the first humans thought to have lived, uh, started living in the area between 7,000 and 10,000 years ago. Several tribes have either lived or traveled through the area over time. Of course they have. Uh, you can literally say that uh, about just, you know, just about any place on earth. And like meat sacks do, they frequently come into conflict with one another. Blood has been shed. You can also say that about just about every place on earth. Uh, the land the DIA sits on once belonged to the uh, Arapaho tribe, as laid out in the 1851 Treaty of Fort Laramie. With the discovery of gold in June of 1858, the rival towns of Araria and St. Charles were founded on opposite sides of Cherry Creek. The claim of St. Charles was soon jumped by William Larimer Jr., who in November of 1858 renamed it Denver City for James W. Denver, governor of the Kansas Territory. With this gold rush came the arrival of a large number of white settlers who wanted in on that gold action. It wasn't long before tents, teepees, wagons, lean-tos, crudely constructed log cabins were lining the banks of the South Platte River as prospectors and fortune seekers poured into the area. They came from all over the country, traveling on foot, covered wagons by horseback, even pushing their belongings in wheelbarrows. Sounds fucking terrible. Conflicts between local tribe members and white settlers led to the Treaty of Fort Wise in 1861 and the pressured secession of valuable land by some tribal leaders. Then a great fire burned much of Denver's business district to the ground in 1863. What started that fire? Curse? Hmm? Obviously. The land was stolen from the Arapaho tribe, so they cursed it. Uh, some people may actually believe this now, but there's no uh, credible curse legend associated with the fire. Fire began in the heart of the downtown business district, starting at the back of the two-story Cherokee House, a saloon and hotel at the southwest corner of 15th and Blake. Some would later claim that the fire had been deliberately set. A number of fires in 1862 were started by people protesting the presence of brothels in Denver. Oh, filthy sex! Get it out of our city! Uh, and the fire raged on and on because local idiots had voted down an ordinance prohibiting the inspection of stoves and chimneys and the construction of more downtown wooden buildings the year before. Nothing curse-like with that decision, just people being short-sighted and ignoring others trying to help them. 
Uh, the year after the fire, there was more disaster. A flash flood swept down uh, Cherry Creek, killing 15 to 20 people and causing a million dollars in damage. More curse damage, clearly, or a snowy winter, heavy spring rain, and an unusually violent thunderstorm combining to create a six-foot wall of water. Uh, and the results of more people being short-sighted and ignoring other people trying to help them here. Some of the idiots living uh, in the area at the time had built homes and businesses inside the dry creek bed of Cherry C Creek, despite being warned numerous times, don't do exactly that, by Arapaho chief Little Raven. So curse or normal human stupidity in both cases. Also, what a crazy thing to die in a flash flood, right? What a weird way to go out. Just to go so quickly from, holy shit, look at all that water coming down. You know, to, oh, oh, fuck. The water's coming right for us. Then to thinking while underwater, how is this happening? 10 seconds ago, I was walking out of the barbershop, heading over to my horse. Now I'm 200 yards downstream, almost dead. Uh, then there was another very avoidable disaster in the area, the Sand Creek Massacre. In late autumn of 1864, about a thousand Cheyenne and Arapaho living in teepees along Sand Creek uh, at the edge of the reservation, you know, living, enjoying their lives. The chief, uh, uh, the ch their chiefs had recently sought peace in talks with white officials, but there had been skirmishes following these talks, some resulting in the deaths of both whites and natives. Uh, further talks with chiefs had not been productive either. Basically, shit was very tense, had been tense for a while, and then the U.S. government was sick of dealing with that tension. They decided to send a message, a very unethical and immoral message. Hundreds of blue-clad cavalrymen appeared before the camp tribes at dawn on November 29th, 1864, when they were spotted a Cheyenne chief raised the stars and stripes above his lodge. Others in the village uh, waved white flags. And rather than respect this peaceful display, the troops responded by opening fire with carbines or carbines, excuse me, and cannons, killing at least 150 tribe members, most of them women, children, and the elderly. And then the rest fled. Uh, before departing, the troops burned the village, mutilated the dead, carrying off body parts as trophies. So the message they were sending, fuck with us, don't do what we say. When we say it, we'll kill your women and children, your grandparents, burn your village, village to the ground. Uh, the massacre at Sand Creek has been described as one of the worst ever committed on U.S. soil. And while horrific, however, the Sand Creek Massacre took place 177 miles or almost three hours away by car from the Denver airport. So it would, uh, you know, be the, more than just a little bit of a stretch to say some curse from this incident and no credible legend of a curse has been associated with that incident uh, has anything to do with DIA. Some think that while San, the Sand Creek Massacre doesn't have anything to do with the land the DIA sits on being cursed, other atrocities have been committed or maybe were committed where the airport now sits. Maybe, maybe there were some curses there or something. Maybe those unnamed atrocities have something to do with the DIA maybe being evil. It's all, it's all pretty flimsy and thin. Uh, on a site for paranormal enthusiasts called Shadowlands.net, one poster wrote, several problems were encountered while building the airport. This is reportedly due to the fact that the airport was built on top of sacred Native American ground. Some employees and visitors have reported hearing or seeing strange things. A 2010 Denver Post article writes that the Denver airport was built on a sacred tribal burial ground. Several other Denver media outlets say the same thing, uh, but none of the, you know, they probably shouldn't have written that. Uh, none of them seem to provide any details. It feels after uh, after doing some research, like a, like a baseless rumor just got spread around and a lot of different papers didn't really look into it and just printed it. Uh, these same papers uh, also printed reports of strange occurrences. Occurrences coming from employees, frequent travelers, uh, they link those occurrences, you know, to the built on the sacred tribal burial ground rumor. Uh, they seem to, uh, these occurrences seem to mostly occur on the pedestrian bridge arching between the main Jepson terminal building and concourse A that we mentioned earlier. Uh, some people claim to hear the sounds of tribe members chanting 
as they go along this pedestrian uh, bridge? Are they hearing the ghosts of ancient warriors who died in battle? Maybe the spirits of those uh, innocently slaughtered? Literal sounds of an ancient curse being placed? Probably not. Probably hearing music being played by the airport uh, speakers on loop. Part of an extensive Spirit of the People exhibition the DIA has been using to showcase native art. Uh, The bridge plays the music of the duo of Red Tail Chasing Hawks and Calvin Standing Bear. And, uh, uh, oh yeah, excuse me, a duo of Red Tail Chasing Hawks uh, collaborating with the duo of Calvin Standing Bear and James Torres. It's a 43-minute long series of compositions specifically written for the airport and the Spirit of the People project. It includes Native American chanting, drumming, flute playing in both traditional and contemporary styles, very much of this world. Uh, Calvin Standing Bear, who is also a shaman, played the songs not only to share his culture and talents, but also to ward off any evil spirits that may have remained from, you know, hardships that occurred on the land. Uh, and there's actually a little uh, fun connection from between Calvin Standing Bear and Time Suck. The scriptkeeper's wife, Monique, and her family uh, very close with Calvin Standing Bear, and the scriptkeeper was able to sit and talk with him about this DIA music project a few years ago. And strangely, he never mentioned uh, being paid by the Illuminati or any New World Order representatives, never talked about reptilians. <laughs> Pretty sad that the uh, global elites got to him and, you know, bought his soul, paid him off. You get it. Uh, when asked about curses and sacred burial grounds, uh, etc., DIA spokespeople have shrugged off the notion that the music they play has anything to do with any of that. Uh, has nothing to do with calming angry spirits. Uh, they've been uh, accused of using it for that as well. Uh, they note that no archaeological evidence of, you know, Indian burial sites has ever been found around DIA, despite what some papers have printed. Uh, that's important to note. No evidence has ever been found of these burial sites. Yet the rumors persist. Where do the rumors come from? They seem to have their origin in a ceremony that was performed around the time of DIA's groundbreaking by various uh, American Indian shaman to bless the new facility. Anything else is pure conjecture, they say. And of course they'd say that, you know? <laughs> How very logical and factual. Nice, DIA. Okay, you keep hiding behind your logic and facts and known history. We'll, we'll bring you down eventually. You can't hide from what people want to be the truth forever. Uh, a young American Indian spiritualist named Lance Allrunner doesn't believe that DIA's bullshit about there not being evidence at all that the DIA, you know, sits on some sacred burial ground or a place where battles went down. Uh, he did his own spiritual cleansing ceremony for the airport in 1995. He somehow talked to mayor into paying him 700 bucks to do it. Uh, although the site had already been blessed eight years earlier by Calvin Standing Bear and others, this 26-year-old believed that the construction of the DIA, especially the underground tunnels, had disturbed some native spirits and it needed more cleansing. That April, All Runner, a volunteer member of the city's DIA Spiritual Resolution Committee, oh boy, uh, talked members of the Montana Cheyenne to come to DIA and calm the Indian ghosts in a nighttime ritual conducted on Easter weekend. They performed a nighttime ceremony at several sites around the airport to put ancient spirits to rest. Thank God. Had they not done that, what would have happened to the DIA? I shudder at the thought. Would it have been swallowed up by the earth? Would a thousand planes have crashed? Would it be exactly the fucking same? Like literally no perceptible difference whatsoever? Hard to say. Really hard to say. Uh, This committee discovered several sites where these spirits had been disturbed. I love this. They discovered these sites. Come on. This this is crazy talk. If I want to make fun of Christian extremists and cult leaders who claim to know unknowable shit like this, I have to make fun of these guys as well. How did they find these spots? (laughs) Right? These troubled spots. How were they able to, to locate where the spirits were disturbed? Did they carry around some kind of disturbed spirit detectors? Scan the earth like old white dudes walking around the beach with metal detectors. I picture them just walking down the concourses, you know, waving these detectors around, you know, when they would go off. 
You know, they don't know if they've found some disturbed spirits, or maybe some loose change. Oh, we got something over over here between uh, C29 and the coffee bean and tea leaf. Come quick. I think it's the spirit of a, a great chief. Or Oh, wait. Nope. Okay. Never mind. Not a disturbed spirit. It's a Canadian quarter. Damn it. Can't even use these in the soda machines. But false alarm. Uh, All runner later told a reporter he cleansed DIA because I was thinking about the safety of people. Uh-huh. It's all going to collapse if you, you didn't do this. He added, whenever spirits are disturbed, it seems like bad things come about. What if that actually is true? That's the kind of question I ask on Scared to Death on that podcast. How terrifying. If I really am sitting here just yucking it up, just mocking all this shit, but we really actually are surrounded by disturbed spirits who will wreak havoc in various ways if the land isn't cleansed. You know, if you don't appease them, bad shit will happen. It's creepy to think about. Maybe that's why my back has been a little extra achy past few days. Maybe I've disturbed some spirits with my constant irreverent sarcasm. Okay, so now you know a lot about the airport. You know, why it was actually built. You know about, uh, you know, the, the land it sits on, some of the rumors there. Now let's dig into the conspiracies we teased up top. Let's start with the art that was commissioned for the airport. Art some people believe has hidden, symbolic, apocalyptic, satanic, Illuminati meaning woven into it. A lot of people worked up about the DIA art. And there is an awful lot of art in the Denver airport. Seems like uh, way more than you would expect to find. Why? Because it has been funded more than other airports this way. For all public projects in the city of Denver, 1% of the budget for each project has to be allocated towards public art to be put on display at DIA. That's why there are over 40 art installations there. That's why the DIA was also called the best airport or U.S. airport for art in USA Today's 10 Best Reader's Choice travel contest in 2013. Uh, Why have so much art at the airport? I don't know, probably because a lot more people will walk past it there than they would if it was inside some downtown gallery. Uh, No part of me thinks there's anything secretive or satanic or new world ordery about the, the art there. But I will admit some of it, not what I expected to see in or out in front of an airport. I was surprised when I first saw their giant devil horse. This big statue, this big post-apocalyptic mural series. They also have uh, gargoyles, the Egyptian god of death, more. Uh, Let's start with that horse with their 32-foot-tall demon horse. Uh, Images of this horse come up more than, I think, any other images. At least that's what it felt like when Googling uh, DIA conspiracies. If you're entering or leaving the DIA, you'll see the statue of a stallion, this giant statue. The stallion bucking on his back legs, has lit up red eyes. Uh, the airport's very demonic-looking, uh, you know, gatekeeper, Blucifer. That's what some locals started calling him years ago, and the name is stuck. And this horse does look very spooky. Blucifer has freaked a lot of people out. People think he looks satanic, uh, you know, and they, and they think sometimes that the horse looks satanic because the real people behind the DIA are satanic, you know, and not the Church of Satan type of satanic, you know, the, the Christian fundamentalist view of who a Satanist is uh, supposed to be, you know, someone who literally has given their soul over to hell's head honcho. Someone who wants to do as much cartoonishly fucked up evil shit as possible. to Sacrifice kids, uh, molest kids, put them in cages, eat people, all that stuff. For many, the New World Order, the Illuminati, lizard people, QAnon, whatever, all ties back to Satan. All ties back to an evil plan being carried out by the king of the underworld to destroy all the good people of the world. Uh, And for people who subscribe to this particular worldview, Lucifer is an obvious sculpted depiction of one of Satan's minions. And Blucifer does uh, have a little bit of a dark backstory. Uh, the guy who made this sculpture was actually killed by it. Uh, while the artist, Luis, uh, Luis Jimenez, was working on Blucifer, the blue Mustang, in 2006, a section of the 30-foot 
32 foot tall, excuse me, 9,000 pound fiberglass sculpture fell on him, severing an artery in his leg and the 65 year old bled out and died. That is pretty crazy. Uh, the sculpture had to be finished posthumously by his family, friends, also some professional lowriders and race car painters, Richard Lovato, uh, Camillo Nunez. Uh, Blue Mustang was unveiled at DIA on February 11th, 2008. People went wild when they saw it. One thing that they uh, perhaps rightly went wild over was his eyes. They are nuts. Uh, one Denver journalist described them as luminous red eyes juxtaposed against its blue body and deeply set into the head of the horse looking out towards the Rocky Mountains. When driving past, Blue Mustang's gaze cannot be missed. He seems to be an all-seeing gatekeeper for those heading towards or away from the city. Even in the dead of night, when the body of the sculpture is invisible against the road surrounding, the eyes of Lucifer are unwaveringly lit bright red to see all who pass by. So why would Jimenez include such a terrifying feature? Well, the eyes were actually installed by Jimenez as a tribute to his father's neon sign workshop where he was employed as a young man. And the red eyes are part of the not satan at all legend the sculpture is based on and inspired by. Uh, the city of Denver commissioned the sculpture when it was first uh, commissioning a variety of art projects in the 90s. The sculpture was uh, partially based on the eight-foot-high sculpture uh, Mesteño, Spanish for Mustang, on display at the University of Oklahoma. With bulging veins and articulate muscles, the sculpture was supposed to represent the power and freedom of the American Mustang. And the sculpture pays tribute to an old Ute legend told in South Central Colorado's San Luis Valley, or San Luis Valley. Uh, locals there used to talk of a powerful stallion that was a, a leader amongst Mustangs, always capable of finding water, grass for the herd. The Mustang had a, had a blue coat, you know, color water. Well, color people associate with water. Uh, red eyes, and at times was said to be capable of flight. So, you know, fitting for an airport. So nothing actually nefarious at all about this creepy looking horse once you understand the, the stories behind it. Since its installation in 2008, the whole horse sculpture has remained an ongoing topic of controversy. And this next bit of info has nothing to do with any conspiracy, but it is so ridiculous. I feel like I should include it here. Uh, many people, not necessarily conspiratorial people, uh, have been outraged also by the horse's uh by his dick, not just by its, you know, red, evil-looking eyes. They've complained that Lucifer's dick is too prominently displayed. Like, you know, people have written a lot of messages, a lot of angry emails about Lucifer's dick. Seriously. Uh, I did a Google image search for Lucifer and pulled up a lot of high-res pics. Did a lot of zooming in. Not kidding. In my opinion, his dick is perfectly reasonably sized for a horse of his stature. I'm being a little silly here, but also not kidding. Look, I'm no horse cock expert, but I have stared at a few horse dicks in my days, in my day. They're, of course they have. They're huge. They're hard to ignore. And there's nothing gratuitous about Lucifer's meat sword. Not to me. For one thing, it's not erect, It's not even erect at all. It's a very flaccid horse dick. 100% flaccid. Uh, compared to an erect horse dick, I think it looks small. You know, it's often cold in Denver. And uh, Lucifer's dick looks like a dick when it's cold out. So there's nothing to complain about here. And if you disagree, if you're the type of person to publicly complain about a statue of a horse complete with a not even big veiny hard horse dick, which is a normal flaccid little anatomically correct horse dick. I want you to do something for the rest of us. I want you to grab a meat cleaver in one hand and I want you to put your other hand palm down on a cutting block and I want you to chop your fucking hand off. You silly, whiny, miserable fuck. What are you doing complaining about shit like that? Why don't you have anything better to do with your life? Right? So then if you live past the massive blood loss, well, now you have something real to complain about. Uh, the DIA art piece that seems to be the most unsettling and controversial, not the horse. Uh, this is the most unsettling, at least for those who fear the one world government agenda they think the airport is associated with, uh, it are the 
Taguma murals, excuse me, Tanguma, the Tanguma murals. I love these murals. Uh, but I'm also someone who has two mannequins in my office uh, slash suck dungeon, one of which wears a devil mask and a bloody butcher, butcher's apron. Uh, the murals certainly not for everybody, but that may be because their intended meaning, at least according to the creator, uh, lost in translation. Uh, created by phenomenal Denver artist, Leo Tanguma, this uh, Chicano muralist is stupid talented. The story he intended to convey, a hopeful story of peace and environmental stewardship following times of war and pollution has been warped into a very different story on hundreds, if not thousands of conspiratorial online postings. Many think his mural is a sick celebration of the apocalypse and the new world order. They think that Leo is another puppet of the NWO, Illuminati, Satan, etc. The murals are intense. One of the scenes features a character that resembles a Nazi officer in a gas mask. Other figures include children in front of a burning building, uh, kids gathered around a knife, and it surprised the shit out of a lot of people who are just wandering around with their Jamba Juice or McDonald's chicken nuggets looking for their check luggage. Uh, the two murals are in the east and west baggage claims outside of the Great Hall. Each mural split into two pieces separated by doorways. Together, they tell a variety of different stories for travelers to interpret while waiting for their bags. Uh, the first mural is called In Peace and Harmony with Nature, and it's said to symbolize environmental destruction versus environmental healing. It presents a horrifyingly brightly colored scene of trees burning in the background, animals in glass cages, a girl lying in a coffin. I mean, it is, you know, it's pretty dark images. Young people fleeing the scene, you know, in, in tears. It's uh, for an airport, some pretty dark shit. It's not a still life, you know, oil painting of some daisies in a meadow. It's not a landscape of some serene mountain lake, which is why I like it. And it's why others are freaked out. In the second section of the mural, Tanguma depicts children and animals coming together around a futuristic plant. When you look at one and the other, I think it's easy to see how the themes of destruction and healing come into play, but not everyone wants to make that connection. Some just see horror. I think they just see what they're looking for. Like if you don't believe in the new world order and see this painting, you're not gonna suddenly awaken to a new truth. No, you already believed in the new world order when you were looking at it. You already believed in the medieval devil. You were already believing in some impending apocalypse. And then you see this mural, you know, and it's just one of many clues you also see that all reaffirm your beliefs. Because that's what I think. Uh, what apocalyptic symbolism do people see in this painting? Some people. Well, in the first section of the mural, Tanguma painted a quetzal bird, an animal sometimes used as an allegory for extinction. And some think this symbol and others are intended to convey that a mass extinction event will happen soon. And the DIA was built as a sanctuary for those selected to survive the apocalypse and build a new world. Holy shit. Really reading between the lines here reading more in between the lines than what is actually written on the lines, right? Building a whole new novel in between two lines of an existing novel. And on the other side of the mural, people interpret the futuristic plant as a symbol for the new world government that everyone will have to live under following this extinction event. Uh, the second mural is titled Children of the World, Dream of Peace. And it depicts the opposing themes of war and peace. Uh, in the first section of this mural, a gas-masked soldier wreaks havoc with a gun and a sword. I think it looks pretty fucking sweet. Looks like uh, some kind of death metal album cover. A nearby caravan of refugees uh, trudges away from him. You know, there's a child hiding with a teddy bear. There's a dead child in someone's arms. Ruins everywhere. Again, I know. It, it is pretty dark. I will say that. In the mural is also a letter from a concentration camp from a child. In the second section of the mural, young people celebrate as the soldier from the first section of the mural lies beneath them. Doves rest on his body and his sword is being disassembled by a kid with a hammer. The war versus peace Themes of this mural are quite clear. Again, dark imagery, I know, but conveys a good message, at least to some. 
Other people miss the message and think some cocky Illuminati masters want to show you exactly what they're about to introduce to this world. Genocide, death, destruction, hiding in plain sight. Uh, This exhibit is in temporary storage due to airport construction right now. Uh, According to what we found, uh, it's supposed to return by the end of 2021. I wonder if they put it away, not because of airport construction, but just because they got tired of the complaints. (laughs) I hope not. I hope hope when they bring it back out, right, they've added more details to it. Maybe do a little redo on it. Just make it even uh, more dark. Make it way over the top. You know, just an image of Satan. You know, obviously just, you know, horns, pitchfork, cloven hooves. Have him just eating the Pope as he perches atop St. Peter's Basilica, just fucking munching on the Pope. Then have images of demons and lizard people eating the flags of the world's most powerful nations, you know, below this fucking Satan on top of the church. And then have images of Biden and Putin, other world leaders in cult robes, watching this all unfold and smiling, just poking scared children in cages with sticks, you know, sitting behind him. Then paint the words on it, New World Order 2025 Takeover. Human race, get on your knees! Then write a description about how the mural is a symbolic depiction of a peaceful future for humanity. See what kind of messages come in. <laughs> I bet if you did that, someone would snap and literally try to destroy it. Right? There'd be protests. People go to jail. Uh, so who is Leo Tanguma, the guy who painted this mural? Unofficially, he is one of Satan's minions. Officially, uh, born sometime in the 1940s, Leo majored in art at Texas Southern University, where he studied under Dr. John Biggers, chairman of the art department, and at the time, nationally nationally recognized as one of America's best muralists. In 1972, in Mexico City, Leo met David Alfaro Siqueiros, a renowned Mexican social realist painter and muralist who significantly influenced his work. Uh, Siqueiros, hopefully I'm uh, not butchering that, advised Tanguma to take themes from American life and avoid folklore and fantasy depictions. Siqueiros uh, saw painting murals as a means of broadcasting oppressed people's struggles. Aside from his murals in the DIA, Tanguma's most well-known work is 1973's Rebirth of Our National Rebirth of Our Nationality, which occupies an exterior wall of the Continental Can Company building in Houston, Texas. Uh, Rebirth of Our Nationality portrays the awakening of the Mexican Americans' self-awareness. Other themes depicted in his murals include African American self-awareness, police brutality, racism, youth violence, and the struggles of women, the elderly, and the working class. And of course, uh, you know, conflict with the environment. Uh, it doesn't seem like Leo's too worried about the new world order. Seems like this world order has given him plenty to worry about already. Uh, if the Illuminati needed a painter, why would they choose someone who's so focused on social issues already? Just like how the look of DIA is on brand for the architect who designed it, the look of these murals is on brand for the artist who created them. Again, so far, everything adding up just fine. If you take some time to understand why the DIA is set up like it is. Uh, the key element found in all of Leo's work is the struggle for dignity, justice, self-determination, and human rights, which seems actually pretty, you know, anti-Illuminati. If anything, Leo is calling for us to rise up and overthrow our reptilian oppressors. Hail Nimrod! Or something like that. Uh, another DIA art installation that has riled up a lot of visitors is a statue of Anubis, Egyptian god of death. The fuck is he doing at the airport? Uh, Looking after the souls of those who have died in the secret underground city's lizard cages? Or is he, you know, there because the city of Denver commissioned a lot of art from a lot of different artists and one of them thought, hey, I like Anubis. I don't know. Hard to say. I think he's probably a symbol of all the human sacrifices that will soon be made in DIA to appease our new overlords. Uh, Unsurprisingly, the long-held tinfoil hat crowd belief that the Illuminati is connected to ancient Egypt and the pyramids has freaked some people out, you know, with this, this statue. 
Another not-so-typical DIA art piece, uh, the gargoyles found in the baggage claims area. Two bronze gargoyles sitting inside suitcases. Not sure if they're still on display right now or not. Uh, they're called Notre Denver. Nice. Uh, some gargoyle sculptures modeled after those found at the Notre Dame Cathedral in France, made by highly acclaimed visual artist and outlaw country musician Terry Allen. Fell into a big wormhole. Uh, wasted way too much time listening to a bunch of Terry Allen songs. Very critically acclaimed. Very different. Very unique dude. Uh, dude doesn't seem very evil or Illuminati-like to me. Seems like a really talented and whimsical artist who dabbles in everything from gargoyle sculptures to outlaw country music to avant-garde collaborations with David Byrne. Uh, anyway, gargoyles freak a lot of people out. Of course they do. You know, they're scary looking. They're monsters. Look like they were possibly demonic. Uh, their backstory, not scary though. Originally, gargoyles had a very, you know, mundane purpose. Uh, just, you know, carve statues of these little grotesque creatures with spouts designed to carry water from roofs away from the sides of buildings, thereby preventing rainwater from running down walls and eroding the mortar. Architects often use multiple gargoyles on buildings to divide the flow of rainwater off the roof to minimize the potential damage from rainstorms. Uh, Terry also has a degree in architecture, so it makes sense he would want to design some gargoyles. The ancient Egyptians, Greeks, Etruscans, Romans all used animal-shaped water spouts. Uh, it was actually the Catholic Church who made them look evil. During the 12th century, when gargoyles first started appearing in Europe, the Roman Catholic Church was growing stronger, converting more and more people. Most of the population at that time was illiterate. Images, very important to convey ideas. And the church used gargoyles to convey fear, right? Make some scary monsters. You know, people are afraid of monsters. Uh, put them on the, uh, the the buildings, you know, these, the side of these cathedrals. And the symbolism is only the church can protect you from these monsters. Get in here where it's safe. Let the church protect you from evil. And according to a DIA spokeswoman, protection is what, uh, you know, is symbolized with these gargoyles inside of, you know, DIA. DIA will protect you from harm. So pretty cool. But that's not what many see. Allen installed the pieces in a completed yet empty DIA and almost immediately some church groups and some other protesters, uh, you know, started to read into his gargoyles. They're evil. They started to write in with complaints, started to desecrate them with nasty messages. Uh, he said they would reach up into the suitcases and put cards that said things like effigies of Satan or you're going to hell. Uh, they put Bibles with stuff marked in them and all these bizarre religious fanatic remarks about the gargoyles. Of course they did. Anyone protesting a gargoyle now is technically living in the 21st century, but their mind is no more developed than the minds of medieval peasants that feared these sculptures a thousand years ago. Uh, creeped out by a gargoyle? Fine. Worried about them? Like actively worried about them? I think you're letting your imagination maybe get the best of you. But okay, all right, fine. But leaving cards... On the statues that say stuff like effigies of Satan or you're going to hell, you're out of your fucking mind. Uh, seemingly strange words on the airport's floors have also freaked out certain travelers. Uh, the conspiracy theory community has for years been very outspoken about mysterious words carved into the floor throughout the DIA. The words, and I can't find pronunciations for these, so bear with me. Kochatopa, uh, Najini, uh, and Zitzdit Gali have been reported by theorists to be everything from a new world order slash Illuminati secret code to an alien language. Maybe the language of the aliens living in that giant secret city under the airport. Language of the Anunnaki, space lizard oppressors. We must rise up against them. Unless you're one of them. I don't know. Uh, no, the words are Navajo. Cochatopa uh, is the Navajo word for mountain pass. Sis uh, Nanjini, Navajo word for the Black Mountain. And this Zit Dit Gal. Uh, is the Navajo word for the White Mountain or Gali. Excuse me. Uh, all these places in Colorado, sacred places to the Navajo. 
And the Navajo used to live, you know, all over what is now Colorado. So once again, like the horse, the airport design, uh, the artwork, you know, it checks out. The symbolism makes sense. And instead of being evil, it's, it's fitting, and beautiful. Airport is not demonic. It's artistic and unique, symbolically rich. Uh, other words inscribed on the floors of DIA have confused the conspiracy theorists for years uh, are uh, Broxma and Villarreal. Again, easy explanation for these words. words. Uh, Broxma refers to Carolyn Broxma and Villarreal. Or I think I'm saying this right to Mark Villarreal. Uh, both of these individuals, prominent artists who worked on projects in the Denver International Airport, both based in Colorado. Mark's in Boulder. Carolyn's in Denver. Checks out. <laughs> But obviously those explanations, you know, don't, won't stop the conspiracy theorists. There's, there's always a deeper meaning. Now let's take a quick break from symbolism. Deeper meanings. Talk about something straightforward. Good deals. Awkward segue, I know. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out? Sleep? Read a book? Play Fortnite? Call your mom? Take judo lessons? Finally watch all the episodes of Shameless? A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything is that there's always a catch. So when you hear that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably thinking, what's the catch? Well, there isn't one, really. They cut the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. It's pretty simple. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month and no catch. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts over. And in addition to saving money, like over a 50% price drop from what I was paying before, the network quality, in my experience, is better than it was with my old service provider. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash timesuck. That's mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Thanks to Rocket Money, I canceled a membership to a gym I used to go to where I continued to pay a monthly membership for a couple of years after I stopped going. I didn't even recognize the charge. Rocket Money found it though, and it was canceled. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. 
Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. That's rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. Rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Babbel has over 10 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. I've been working on my restaurant skills lately. ¿Cuál es el pescado del día? Excelente. Mi encanto pargo rojo frito. Y me gustaría un poco de huevo de naranja fresco. You may not know what I said, but my waiter in Mexico will, thanks to Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash timesuck. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash timesuck. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash timesuck. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hope you heard something you can use to save some money, meat sacks. Let's head back to crazy town now. Okay, so I guess it's really not that surprising that some of the art at the Denver airport has led travelers to wonder, you know, what the fuck is going on. After all, art is complicated, confusing sometimes. Some people just have trouble with symbolism. Maybe the most consistent clue conspiracy theorists have pointed to as being an obvious nod to DIA's Illuminati ties, something that is clearly not symbolic, something that can't be described away with some fancy art talk, are the words, the New World Airport Commission. There are various dedication markers and plaques around the airport that say it was funded by, quote, the New World Airport Commission. Huh. New World Airport? New World Order? If you do a little digging, you'll see that there is, uh, you know, very little information about the New World Airport Commission out there. Uh, the only information you can find will just point back to the DIA. So red flag for many. Maybe you can't find this commission because they don't want to be found. Illuminati. Um, but if that's true, that's the, and that is the argument, right? Oh, they don't want to be found. This is the Illuminati. But then why put up plaques? <laughs> right? Why Why put plaques uh, up at the airport blatantly advertising a supposedly secret group? That That's more than just a little bit confusing. You know, how can you believe that A, the Illuminati slash New World Order exists as a secret, extremely powerful cabal controlling the entire world from the shadows? And then B, you know, they just slightly change their name and then put that name uh, on plaques all over one of their most important secret bases when they could, instead of doing that, just easily not leave clues. It's almost like people who believe in this shit aren't the best at critical thinking. This is like if uh, Adolf Hitler had survived World War II and he was secretly, you know, you know, still pretty powerful, but wanted to wait until he was more powerful before resurfacing and taking over. And he, and he had built some secret, massive underground city underneath an airport. And then he left plaques all over said airport saying various things were paid for by Amolf Hitler. You know, that'd be a little, little odd. Hitler, don't you think that uh, you, if you want to remain hidden, you should use a totally different name? Amos Hitler is a very different name. 
It's night and day. I am Adolf Hitler. Who is this Adolf Hitler guy? Never heard of Adolf Adolf Hitler. I mean, you get it. Uh, You can find the backstory on the NWAC if you just look. The New World Airport Commission was named by Charles Ansbacher, an arts advocate who died in 2010. And the name is in reference to Dvorak's New World Symphony, who Ansbacher was a big fan of. Uh, The commission was created only to orchestrate DIA's opening festivities in 1995, which is why you can't find much info about them. It was never meant to be some big, long-standing committee, uh, just a tiny little committee formed to open an airport. That's all. Uh, This commission, uh, being an obvious nod to the real New World Order, was first thrown out into the public consciousness in March or on March 20th, 1994, in an article for the Rocky Mountain News. J.R. Moringer, a Rocky Mountain News correspondent, possible wackadoodle as well, uh, wrote about how during the two-hour length of the airport's commemoration ceremony, numerous Masonic rituals were involved. It really isn't that surprising to me. I mean, they're building this big building. The Masons, you know, built big buildings, kind of ties together. But he wrote, some of the hundreds of Masons on hand seem surprised to learn that Mayor Wellington Webb is Brother Webb a reference to the then mayor's membership in the organization. Uh, Yet there he stood in his white apron, traditional garb of the Grand Lodge of Freemasons. And and we've thoroughly examined the Freemasons here on Time Suck before. Uh, Did a two-parter on them in 2018. They do not control the world. Never have, never will. Uh, They can barely pay rent for a lot of their lodges in many cities right now. Uh, They're just one of many secret clubs founded in years past, mostly for dudes have an excuse to not hang out with their families and drink with other dudes, and make business connections. Uh, You know, they have a lot of secret rituals because it's fun to have secret rituals and be in a secret club. I I know a lot of Masons now from various walks of life, and they just seem to enjoy being in a secretive club. That's it. So who gives a shit that the mayor was a Freemason? Clearly, J.R. Moringer does. J.R., excuse me, Moringer does. And Jesse Ventura does as well. Uh, Big-time conspiracy theorist. Ventura did an episode of his show called Conspiracy Theory, Uh, on the Denver airport, originally aired on January 13th, 2010. He said, but on the bottom, it says the New World Airport Commission. That doesn't exist. You can't find it. Why wouldn't it say the Colorado Airport Commission, the Denver Airport Commission, or maybe the county? But it has the words New World Airport Commission right on the dedicated plaque, and there is no such thing as the New World Airport Commission. That was his big aha moment. You got him, Jesse. You solved the case. You zigged where everyone else zagged. Break out that Illuminati-confirmed rubber stamp. Jesse, your shrewd mind left those NWO thugs with no way to weasel out of their obvious DIA connection. That guy, uh, we could do a whole suck on him. Vietnam vet, Rolling Stones bodyguard at one point, Mongols biker gang member, supposedly a professional professional wrestler, the body Ventura, definitely. Governor of Minnesota, huge conspiracy theorist. Sometimes very smart, sometimes, I don't know, seems pretty insane. Uh, We'll check in with Jesse later in this suck. Uh, Conspiracy theorists also point to a time capsule for the people of Colorado in 2094 that has a Masonic symbol carved into the top of it. Uh, What are the Masons hiding in that capsule? Uh, Some kind of we took over the world celebration kit. Trophies for a one world domination parade. This time capsule uh, said to contain coins, a signed opening day ball from Coors Field, ball from Coors Field, my God, uh, a pair of Mayor Wellington Webb sneakers and a few Black Hawk Casino tokens, among other items. Anyone else think it's weird that the mayor's shoes are inside the time capsule? Who's going to want to have that when they open it up? Uh, so why 2094? What's going on there? A lot of conspiratorial speculation about this date. 
Is that the year the lizard people declared their world takeover victory complete? Or is it just the 100th anniversary of the airport's dedication? Because it definitely is at least that. How is that point missed by so many conspiracy nuts? Right, even when I was 10 years old and first heard of a time capsule, waiting 100 years to have it open just you know felt like the right way to go. Uh, real big conspiracy smoking gun is the airport dedication plaque date, March 19th, 1994. If you add the numbers together, 191994, you know, just leaving out, you know, the three in March for some reason, uh, you get 33, the highest level one can achieve in Freemasonry. Yeah, you know, I guess that is pretty interesting. You know, you know what 33 is also associated with? I did find this interesting. Jamal Perry, Michael Dolphins, cornerback, teammate of Andrew Van Ginkle. He had six pass deflections in 2019. Six, three, plus three, 33. It's all right there if you just look. Uh, so I think we've proven now that all of the DIA art and symbols obviously point to the idea that Denver Airport was designed as a strange museum showcasing NWO agenda, or maybe that it's just a bunch of cool symbolic art that has everything to do with Colorado and nothing to do with the Illuminati. I forget. Uh, what if all the occult art and symbolism is just the tip of some big Illuminati iceberg? What if all the strange art and symbols, when combined, sort of awaken some kind of Illuminati kraken, actually bring the NWO's world domination plan to fruition? What if all the art and symbols are like the various ingredients of a powerful witch's spell and the Denver airport is the devil's cauldron? Some people believe this as well because of course they do. Because why not, I guess? Makes life more exciting. Uh, what do people think is going to be awakened? Well, a bunch of shit that right now is hidden underground. What plans are already being put into motion literally beneath our feet at DIA? Well, DIA has six underground levels that we know of. That's actually true. Uh, officials and architects wanted a supersized, you know, futuristic baggage system that cost over $300 million to make. And it ended up being a huge and very expensive disaster. This thing ended up mutilating baggage instead of delivering them, delivering them uh, far too often. An infamous 1994 media demonstration of the system featured colliding carts, tossed or crushed luggage, and scattered clothing. That's not a good look. Uh, during tests, it, quote, launched, <laughs> I love launched, launched, chewed up, and spit out bags so often, it became known as the baggage system from hell. That was an NBC News report. A uh, report said the baggage network's designers underestimated the project's complexity and didn't build adequate backup and recovery capacity to cope with system failures. And it cited the tendency of the system to enjoy eating people's baggage. Man, somebody got fired for that shit. Probably multiple somebodies. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry boss. Oh, man. Uh, I, was, I was sure if we just spent $300 million on my new baggage system idea that it would actually work. Uh, what's that? Uh, clean up my desk. Be, uh, be out of the office in 30 minutes. Uh, make sure I uh, never see you again if I value my life. Uh, yeah, no problem. Uh, when the airport opened in February 1995, most bags were hauled the old-fashioned way with the new system and limited use. Uh, United Airlines continued to use some elements of that system for several years, but it was prone to breakdowns, expensive to maintain, million dollars a month expensive. And they stopped using it, uh, you know, as it was designed as well after a while. Uh, Utah Ski Resorts got wind of that situation, used it for a publicity campaign of their own, putting out advertisements that said, in Denver, you could lose your luggage. In Utah, you could lose yourself. Nice. So it's a big blunder. Maybe should have focused less on art installations, more on the baggage system during the planning phase. Uh, after canning this new system, DIA administrators were stuck with a bunch of wasted underground space. And that got conspiracy, you know, minds going, what are they, they doing with all that space? Was that baggage system fuck up just a cover story? 
Uh, a DIA spokesman addressing some conspiracies once said that conspiracists have suggested that the old baggage bins were made exactly the right size to transport bodies and, you know, also clothes and toiletries and stuff. Uh, but bodies, bodies of the slave people dying under DIA right now. Uh, people also uh, have all kinds of theories about giant tunnels associated with this unused baggage system, specifically how high the ceilings of the tunnels are. They think that they are too high. So, you know, what's what's up with that? Why are the, why are the tunnels so high? You know, were they, were they, are they high enough for UFO transport? What's going on? Are, is, is there bigger lizard people than most places have down there or something? Uh, DIA spokesman has said the tunnels were built to house the baggage system. Nothing else. But is that the truth? Uh, other conspiracists claim that the airport is hiding underground tunnels and secret bunkers meant to house world leaders in case of some sort of disaster or apocalypse. Some of these people claim, as I mentioned earlier, you know, there's a whole gigantic city located under DIA. That allegation comes from a rumor that when the airport was first built, I love this, it somehow screwed up the construction of the first five buildings. And instead of just scrapping these buildings, you know, instead of just, I don't know, tearing them down, maybe trying to renovate them, uh, they just buried them, you know, which is, I, I don't know if that's necessarily possible. When in the history of all construction, has anyone ever fucking done something like that? Who, who has just moved a huge fucking building underground like it's just a kid in a sandbox? Just some contractor, oh man, we have five massive buildings. We don't need anymore. What should we do? Should we try and, I don't know, just scrap them? Probably tear them down, something? Or, you know what? Why don't we just push them down? Just, put, just push them down. Hey guys, just get your hands and uh, dig some holes over there. We'll just push these massive buildings down in the ground. We'll just cover them up, just throw some dirt on top. That's possible, right? That's how construction works. You can't just do that. You can't just sneak massive buildings underground like that. It's not how real life works. Underground construction is very expensive, very fucking complicated engineering-wise. I, I looked over way too many articles about underground construction. It's, it's very hard just to build a massive tunnel deep underground, uh, let alone you know push buildings underground. The world's biggest tunnel, Switzerland's Goddard-based tunnel, over 35 miles long, longer than the channel that connects Britain and France, goes right through the Alps. It took over 15 years to build, cost over $12 billion. And from floor to ceiling in this tunnel, it's only uh, 17 feet high, not big enough to sneak really any buildings into it, right? The, the, the tunnel, the, that circular design works well for drills, works well for building tunnels, but you can't just like fucking like little kid carve out space, a big open area, like, like make a huge cavern underground. The the pressure from the earth would just collapse it. It just doesn't make any sense. You, you definitely can't have a 4.5 square mile underground city set up under the earth. That cannot exist under DIA or fucking anywhere. We don't have the engineering technology to build something like that yet. But, you know, if you believe in the, uh, the power of, you know, like black magic or something, you know, like uh, some of these people believe, I guess anything's possible, right? Just because magic. That, that answers every question. Uh, we do have the capabilities, though, to build massive tunnels. So let's get into the tunnel rumors. The DIA does have an actual extensive tunnel system. Built for baggage, as I said, largely shut down, you know, in 2003 due to mechanical problems. Some think these tunnels connect to all kinds of uh, underground NWO facilities. Some think they connect uh, the DIA to the North American Aerospace Defense Command over 80 miles to the south near Colorado Springs. Uh, something more tunnels connect DIA to the Cheyenne Mountain Complex in the Rocky Mountains outside of Colorado Springs. Uh, you know, the military, uh, the U.S. government certainly has built state-of-the-art underground stuff. We know that. There are more than 10,000 underground military facilities worldwide, uh, the Cheyenne Mount Mountain Complex being one of them. Cheyenne Mountain Complex are uh, very cool, actually. The complex was built under 2,000 feet of granite on five acres. 
15 three-story buildings protected from movement, like earthquakes, explosions, by a system of giant springs, the buildings, you know, are above flexible pipe connectors to limit operational effects of movement. Uh, the complex, the only high-altitude Department of Defense facility certified to be able to sustain an electromagnetic pulse, a burst of electromagnetic radiation caused by something like a nuclear explosion. And this is all underground, but it's not four and a half square miles big, which would be 2,880 acres. It's five acres big. And this thing, the five acre thing is very impressive. The supposed underground DIA city Ike and others have talked about existing would be 576 times as big as the Cheyenne Mountain Complex. Uh, that is a construction project so much bigger than any known construction project ever carried out in human history. To think that is just possible anywhere is, is pretty ludicrous. But what about the tunnels? Is the Denver airport connected to, you know, uh, stuff like the North American Aerospace Defense Command? Highly unlikely. Uh, to connect to the places people have said it's connected by Colorado Springs. That it would take decades, tens of billions of dollars. It, it'd be a, a massive construction project. It'd be very hard to pull off secretly. Uh, the tunnel would go under parts of Denver. It would go under Colorado Springs. It would make, you know, probably a little bit of noise that people would notice. Uh, of course, the Denver airport people have denied these rumors as well. Uh, spokeswoman Stacy Stegman said, I think people would be very disappointed if they were to actually spend some time under DIA. We are under the footprint of 53 million people. It will be pretty difficult to hide any covert activity with the thousands of workers that are down there every day. So what does go on underneath DIA officially? Well, supposedly, roughly, you know, a thousand people work daily in the various levels underneath the airport, ferrying luggage among ticket counters, planes and baggage claim areas, and a pair of 7,000 foot long tunnels that run alongside the airport's underground trains. All plumbing and electrical infrastructure appears uh, to end at the underground area's lowest level. Hiding anything else under all that would be an engineering feat, uh, you know, more impressive than the channel that connects England and France. <laughs> but is that all they're doing down there? There is 470,000 total square feet of underground space. A spokesperson for the airport has said that it would take three days to show a visitor all the space underneath DIA, you know, and that vast size can make a conspiratorial mind wander. And of course, some airport workers familiar with the theories like to play pranks, which has fueled conspiracies. Airport workers have been known to don lizard masks, which I think is fucking hilarious. Uh, while the media are on tours, including one supposedly caught on camera by Fox 31 KDVR Denver in a video that, you know, uh, circulated afterwards as evidence of lizard Illuminati existence. Uh, despite reading about that video, I couldn't find it interesting. Clearly, some NWO officer had the YouTube Illuminati buddies. Take it down. Uh, I did watch other local news videos of DIA representatives giving tours. Uh, very cool. Very impressive structure. Uh, didn't feel spooky to me. Just felt like uh, you, know, you, got, you got to see this impressive engineering feat. Uh, so that's it for the tunnels in the underground city. The conspiracies don't seem based on any credible info that we have based on the entire known history of human construction and engineering to just be possible. So what about Nazis? Some of that DIA art seems to maybe symbolize Nazis. Is there some sort of DIA Nazi connection. Some people think this. There's a theory that DIA purposefully uh, built a swastika-ish shaped runway configuration and wove other occult symbols of Nazism or fascism into the runways as a tribute to their masters. <laughs> DIA officials have shied away from directly addressing these theories, uh, which some see as a sign of their validity. A uh, spokesperson said that they wanted to avoid or tread very lightly with that subject matter adding some things are worth debunking, others aren't. Uh, my guess is that they don't want to risk offending anyone by talking about Nazism. 
or insulting those who, you know, purport to be afraid of a Nazi president in the U.S., or maybe they're Nazis. A uh, close look at aerial photography of the supposedly swastika-shaped runways reveals a lumpy, misshapen, largely interpretive swastika at best. It, it's not swastika-shaped. You really have to fucking read into it. Uh, the real reason for the rotating fan-shaped design is that it allows for optimal takeoff into and against the wind from different directions, depending on weather and traffic patterns. Uh, another conspiracy that doesn't make much sense or appear credible when you really look at it. Uh, so the DIA, you know, no Nazi associations. One last random conspiracy before we get into the people behind these theories. And we do have a idiots of the internet coming up too, which is going to be fun. Uh, it's a small theory relative to everything else we've looked at. And of course, just as nuts as the other ones. It revolves around a little engraving on the floor of a mining cart with the letters, you know, AU and AG engraved in it. Most people see these letters as representing the chemical symbols of gold and silver, respectively. The backbone of why Denver, you know, exists. It was a, you know, originally this boom town with, you know, mining gold and silver. However, this theory states that AU and AG stands for Australian antigen, a proposed name for a pandemic causing virus strain the Illuminati is apparently working on right now to end the human population. What evidence is there for this theory? Nah, none, actually. Just someone posted that thought once somewhere online and other people read it and they thought, yeah, no, that sounds right. And they posted that thought again in other places and now it's kind of a conspiracy. That's how most of these conspiracies start. Just someone, anyone, just sharing a thought of, hey, wait a minute. And then just, you know, word vomiting. And then other people are like, yeah, I like that. And then they share it. And then now you got a conspiracy. So how popular are these conspiracies? Uh, hard to say. There are lots of videos, a few websites dedicated to them. Uh, tens of thousands of hits do come up in search engines. Based on local news interviews, it seems like whoever answers customer service emails for DIA uh, does get a lot of conspiracy-related emails and instant messages. Uh, the actual group of diehard believers who actively promote these theories, though, that group seems to be pretty small. Uh, let's meet a few of the main folks who, without their diligent, thorough, mentally competent examination of facts, there would be no DIA episode of Time Suck. Uh, one of these wackadoodles is a guy named Michael L. Brown, founder of the website Spirit Daily. Uh, Spirit Daily was a popular website. Uh, it became fairly popular in 2011 among conservative Christians who believed in end time type prophecies and conspiracy theories. It's founder, Michael Brown, the author uh, of books on, of the spiritual warfare genre. Uh, spiritual warfare is the Christian concept of fighting against the work of evil forces based on a biblical belief that evil spirits or demons intervene in human affairs in various ways. Uh, and he has some thoughts about, you know, the Denver airport, because why not? He's written extensively about the symbolism uh, in, in the DIA, and he's even encouraged travelers to sprinkle holy water and blessed salt as they pass through Denver's airport. Uh, after witnessing all the art the DIA had to offer, Brown said, Why all the esoteric symbols on the floors? What purpose? Who went haywire with creativity? Seems too brazen to be a plot. And why the truly bizarre murals? A burning city. Children sleeping on piles of bricks. A line of mourning women in rags with dead babies limping their arms. A huge looming military figure in a gas mask brandishes a sword and a machine gun. Part of an actual note written by a child interred in a Nazi death camp. Strange words embedded in the floor with no explanation of what they mean. There is also a dove. And one woman looks just a bit... Like the weeping virgin. Dun, dun, dun. Brown pointed to a connection between ongoing economic trouble in Europe and the U.S. in 2011 
and the symbolism of the DIA. The piece is fit. Pulling that conspiracy yarn between two thumbtacks across the basement war room wall. Uh, Michael started to wonder if there was a small cabal of international elites that does, that has anticipated a future breakdown of the global economy. Uh, What's Michael up to now? Mm, I don't know. All the info uh, I can find on him, pretty old. According to spiritdaily.com, he was born in Niagara Falls, New York in 1952. As a young adult, he worked for the Niagara Gazette as a full-time reporter, uh, worked as an environmentalist in the 1970s, award-winning actually, then became a born-again Catholic in the 1980s, moved with his wife to St. Augustine, Florida, and started writing a lot of books about mostly, it seems, the, the end times. Uh, this Michael Brown, Michael Harold Brown, not to be confused with Michael L. Brown, who also writes about the end times. That's fun. Uh, that Michael Brown has written books in recent years with fun titles like Jezebel's War with America, Not Afraid of the Antichrist, and Christian Anti-Semitism. All of his books seem to be uh, based on ratings volume, doing very well right now on Amazon. So that's fun. Cool that there are at least two end times focused authors living in America by the name of Michael Brown. Uh, Now let's look at two people who claim to have gone down into the secret levels under DIA. Let's talk about what they've seen. Uh, This is Alex Christopher and Phil Schneider. Alex, mostly unknown, only associated, it seems, with this story. Well, this story and one other I'll talk about in a second. I I wonder if she's a real person. Uh, Phil, who died in the mid-90s, was very real and is a legend in the UFO world and one of David Icke's sources referenced at the beginning of this suck. Uh, Just after the airport was built, this Alex Christopher person claims, according to Phil, to have met some people at a conference in Denver who took her down into the secret subterranean levels of the airport. Then later, she returned again with her friend, Phil Schneider, to show him the secrets she had found. No part of me believes this shit for a second. Let me get this straight. The NWO will spend tens of billions of dollars, probably hundreds of billions, maybe trillions, to build a massive underground city. It's going to play a crucial role in the apocalypse that they are constructing. They want to keep this a secret. It's a very important secret. But then they just let two wackadoodles take a fucking field trip down into its depths just to scope it out. And then they just let them escape and then talk about it publicly. Uh Uh-huh. No hole, no logic holes in that story at all. Uh, We've actually talked about Phil Schneider before on the Secret Suck, uh, Time Suck's Patreon podcast. Interesting wackadoodle for sure. Uh, Phil Schneider was an engineer who worked on deep underground military bases for the U.S., at least according to Phil Schneider. He did that. Uh, And Phil, while working at the Denver airport, a fact that no one but Phil Schneider has ever verified, uh, in some old videos, claims he fell into a secret level of tunnels where uh, there happened to be aliens. <laughs> and it feels like he had a hard time keeping this DIA story straight, right? Like, you know, sometimes he would tell it, it's like uh, he just fell into these the secret part of the underground base. Sometimes he was taken there by his buddy, Alex Christopher. Uh, Phil also claimed prior to his death in 1996 that the aliens fired on him with a sophisticated weapon. He lost part of his hand, a chunk of his chest in this alien attack and barely survived. I've watched several of his old videos, which was not easy to do because for a guy who talks about a lot of interesting shit, he is a painfully boring speaker. Uh, He did not come across as some kind of elite athlete, some kind of super soldier who could have survived an alien attack. If those DIA New World Order aliens couldn't take Phil Schneider down, uh, we have nothing to fear. Uh, After telling his story, Schneider did uh, die shortly after. He died of an apparent suicide. Obviously, fellow uh, conspiracists, skeptical about that explanation. Uh, They believe it's an assassination. I, I highly doubt this guy was assassinated. Uh, hey, Dan, uh, David Hancher Childers here, uh, resident suck first cryptid expert. Uh, I, I just want to point out that there is a strong possibility that Schneider uh, could have been killed by a Sasquatch assassin. 
Colorado known for heavy Sasquatch traffic. Uh, that may have been linked, uh, you know, to the DIA. Also, you might want to look into the Colorado Slide Rock Bolter. Massive giant worm, uh, you know, they can, could have made the tunnels under the DIA, thought to have uh, by many, uh, could have made them on behalf of the reptilians who don't always kill their targets initially. In fairness to Phil, uh, that's that's enough, David. That's quite enough. Uh, I don't remember ever hiring you. Uh, we, we can talk about all this after the show. I, I need you to step outside now. Okay, yeah, no problem. Uh, might want to look into giant stone balls from space as well. Uh, they could have uh, created the crater under the eye. The, the mind of a... Sorry about that. Uh, David's been showing up ever since the uh, Enigma code suck. Sorry, it's hard to get him completely out of the building. Uh, anyway, I think Schneider was an attention-seeking nut, possibly mentally ill. Uh, he seemed unbelievably full of shit to me. Uh, he also claimed that the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, 9-11 bombings, World Trade Center bombing, all false flag operations. Uh, also, as alleged, you know, with the underground base below DIA was one of over 130 secret deep underground military bases and that they were made with the help of alien technology where you could use lasers to cut stone, do all sorts of shit. Uh, Alex Christopher, she hasn't written about anything else online since Phil died that I can find. I wonder if she and Phil were the same person. Uh, maybe I just didn't find the right buried video of hers or something. She claimed online around the same time as Phil was uh, making the claims I just went over that she was abducted by aliens three times and that, uh, you know, she saw aliens underneath Denver Airport. Uh, another DIA conspiracy pushing wackadoodle, a guy named Greg Erickson. Greg Erickson, who runs the website freepressinternational.org, uh, which after checking it out, seems to have less journalistic integrity than the Weekly World News tabloid, uh, the fakest of fake news. For years, this maniac has been hounding DIA for refusing to translate the writings that are all over the airport, even though they they have actually done that, as we've talked about. Uh, he's also hounded DIA officials for not providing the names of everyone on the New World Airport Commission, even though that information was released a long time ago. Just a bunch of artists. Uh, another conspiracy theorist that came up a few times going through these conspiracies was Tyler Glockner. Somebody associated with Secure Team 10, some organization uh, that probably is just Tyler Glockner by a different name. Uh, <laughs> Secure Team 10 described itself as a research channel breaking the boundaries of underground reporting. In 2016, Tyler put up at least one video that examined several theories from murals and artwork to secret blueprints. So he wanted to prove that something suspicious was taking place under DIA, saying something is very wrong with the Denver International Airport. Uh, he suggested that there are actually five huge government bases buried underneath the airport exclusively for government officials to hide in when the apocalypse occurs. And then Glockner and his channel seemed to have disappeared. Uh, did he finally stumble on some cosmic classified UFO information? Had to be put away for good? Uh, was he taken to the camps under the Denver airport? Or did his mom finally stop paying his website hosting fees? Did she force him to, you know, get a job or something? All of these sources, obviously pretty flimsy. The most high-profile source pushing DIA conspiracies by far has been Jesse Ventura. We mentioned him uh, a bit earlier. Conspiracy Theory uh, with Jesse Ventura ran for three seasons from 2009 to 2012 on True TV. In it, you know, the host Jesse the Body Ventura examined all kinds of conspiracy theories, and in 2010, he tackled the Denver airport conspiracies. Kind of. His breakdown was uh, pretty fucking weak. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday! Jesse the Body Ventura is going to drop a DDT on the DIA. Can the New World Order survive his body breaker? The body is going to blow the lid off the Illuminati's secret plans. He's got all the evidence. He's seen a plaque saying New World Airport Commission, and that is kind of, that, that's kind of it. That's, that's kind of all the evidence. We'll sell you the whole seat, but you only, ah, fuck it. 
I, he didn't present shit. Uh, just the same stuff we've already debunked. He <laughs> basically just pointed at this New World you know, Airport Commission like, what, what was that though? And they were like, no, it's just this art commission. Yeah, okay. And that's about as far as it went. Uh, then there's uh, possibly the most beloved wackadoodle of all, George Nuri, talk show host of Coast to Coast AM. It is a pretty fun show. It's crazy, but it's fun. Uh, broadcast on more than 500 affiliate stations, the popular overnight show, basically these 60 minutes of conspiracy theories. Uh, we mentioned the show and mentioned uh, Nuri on the show before. Uh, with a variety of self-educated experts, he discusses subjects like the occult, psychic visions, crop circles, you know, secret groups, apocalyptic predictions. And of course, the DIAs come up uh, a few times with some, with some callers. One caller, uh, Chris from Indianapolis, said he heard that the tunnels below DIA were constructed as a kind of Noah's Ark so that 5 million people could escape the coming, you know, earth change. And then he asked George, how can someone go about getting on that list? And, and then George didn't know. And, uh, that, and that was about it. Hard hitting news. A guy heard a rumor, asked if it was true. What should he do if it's true? And no one knew what he was supposed to do and stuff. More news at 11. So, you know, uh, <laughs> that's these, these are all pretty flimsy. Another guy who has talked a lot about DIA conspiracies is William Tapley. This is fun. He is the leader of today's Idiots of the Internet. I haven't done this segment in a long time. Uh, felt very relevant today. Uh, William Tapley. Not talking about William Tapley, the prolific mystery author who died in 2009. Uh, not the guy who got a bachelor's from Amherst and a master's from Harvard, who kicked out a bunch of legal thrillers. No, no, no. We're talking about wackadoodle YouTuber and author of books like Revelation Unraveled, Hidden Secrets of the Apocalypse. Talking about a guy who introduces himself as the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times. Uh, not kidding. Just listen to him. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. <laughs> I'm your host, William Tapley, hmm? also known as the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times. Holy shit. Uh, this guy looks every bit as punchable as he sounds, by the way. And, you know, and he's been pretty fascinated about uh, DIA for quite some time. This is part one of a two-part series on the amazing murals at the Denver International Airport. Uh, the eminently quotable Tapley's uh, obsession with explaining the many hidden images of paganism and the art and sculptures of DIA may be unsurpassed. He's devoted numerous videos to this. Uh, collectively, they've gotten hundreds of thousands of views. Uh, Tapley believes in pretty much all the conspiracies we've already talked about. No need to listen to him meander through all that same shit. It's, just, uh, it's pretty painful. Uh, in addition to believing all that we've covered, he also thinks there is a secret evil porn hidden all over the Denver International Airport. The fact is, Mr. Leo Tanguma, the artist of the Denver International Airport uh -huh. murals, has embedded hidden sexual images in his painting. Uh -huh. And not just sexual images. Mm -mm. This is pornography. Ugh. That is why he has made it a secret. Yep, you heard it. Uh, the video then cuts to him point, <laughs> pointing out uh, some of the dicks in a, in a video, another one that was mocked by Anderson Cooper on CNN, uh, which is why the sound will now be uh, a little bit different. But before we rush to judgment, let's hear the man out, because it just so happens William has some evidence. Oh, yeah. This sign on the penguin's cage constitutes a phallic symbol. Mm -hmm. Please notice that the Latin name for this word includes the word impanus. Mm -hmm. Now, that is not accidental. The bird standing upright is phallic. Uh -huh. The shape of the sign is phallic. Uh -huh. And even the name is phallic. Everything is phallic. 
I think you get the gist of what this dude is about now. Uh, he's the kind of guy who sees a rectangular name box. It couldn't look more innocuous and harmless. And he says that is phallic. It's just like a rec- like a little name placard. You know, it's just it's just a rectangle. Uh, like seriously, basic rectangles represent dicks. Most name tags, I guess, are, are designed not to help us learn someone's name, but to just get us thinking about that dick. Think about how far this could go. Most books, huh? Rectangles? What's that about? Just making us think about dicks. Doesn't that mean the Bible was made by Satan, maybe? Look like a dick? Does William Tapley study from a square Bible? Oh, I hope so. Oh, my God. I, I have some framed family photos on the wall at home. <sighs> Fr- frames that are rectangular. Did I just stick my family inside a box of dicks? Uh, William connects all these dicks to the usual suspects. Satan, the Illuminati, the New World Order. Of course he does. And as utterly insane as all of this is, uh, while a lot of people in the comment sections below his videos do mock him, uh, a lot of others sadly uh, buy what he's selling. Under a video titled Denver Airport Murals Prophecy, Prophecies from Satan, the first video we heard that little intro from, uh, here are some comments. Rocky Balboa 211 posts, stay away from Denver. Satan, though, could have influenced them. Yet I agree that hidden symbolism is correct as well. Since if they were to paint the true thing, they would have died the next day. Uh, Fucking what? Uh, I think Rocky here is agreeing with Willie, uh, but also what the hell is he talking about? Sometimes it truly feels like these nuts are speaking an entirely separate language. Uh, CJ Franks posts on the very top of the, oh, sorry. Only the very top of the elites worship the devil. Look it up. I love it when they add those little things at the Look it up. How, how do you know that? Look it up, okay? Every rectangle is a dick. Look it up if you don't believe me. Uh, <laughs> and what, is, what does this mean? Poor people don't worship the devil? For it? Like what, Illuminati, middle management don't, don't worship the devil? Only the very top elites. Uh, off my dog Chewy gets all musical with his post writing, in today's day and age, money is the new God. People will do anything for it, kill or mate, Love or hate, build or disintegrate. Too much way, too late. Well, well, look who just learned how to rhyme. Uh, Thanks for showing up. Off my dog, Chewy. Money is not the new God. What are you talking about? Money has been the main God ever since it's been money. Come on. What's worshiped in the world more than money and what what it buys? That's that's not new. That's as old as sex being sold. Did I just, what? Did I just rhyme? What's going on now? Uh, The Fred gets philosophical posting... What disgusts me, though, is that the self-pleased elite idiots rub their symbols in our faces and suggest we don't understand them and their plans are evil, misanthropic, and egotistic. To call it satanic gives them even more power because that's exactly what they tried to convince us of and holds us in the controlling paradigm of Christianity. I do not want to offend anyone just to rouse interest. Look for yourself. (laughs) Just another look it up. Uh, pretty sure the Fred just aroused more confusion than interest. Oh, you're confused? Okay, look at look for yourself, my friend. Uh, 300PZL gets pretty direct, posting, I just think these murals are ugly. Okay, uh, that's fair. You know, artist objective. Uh, then Taste That Rainbow gets funny, posting, it's great to see that there is internet connectivity in mental hospitals. <laughs> he must have had some good behavior to get a hold of the video camera as well. Nailed it. Uh, under the dick spotting video, uh, porn at the Denver International Airport. Uh, there's quite a bit of comedy. Earl Falk posts, you uh, do know that Alka Impenis is the actual Latin name of an extinct bird, do you not? Exactly. <laughs> I, love, I love how he's reading porn. It just doesn't make sense on so many levels. 
he sees the word penis, which in Latin doesn't mean dick. But it's like, I don't know, maybe it does. I actually didn't look that part up. But it definitely doesn't mean dick in this context that he sees it in. Uh, Sado Christ asks, who are the other two eagles of the apocalypse? Mm-hmm. Yeah, third eagle of the apocalypse. Great question. Where are those other two doomsday dodos? Uh, referring to William talking about studying art in this video and offering up his credentials, which he does at one point, heavy, a cell post, and he clearly studied under Peter North and John Holmes. Actual porn references for the win. Uh, if you don't know, those are two porn legends with, with big old dicks. Uh, I sucked one of them. As in did a time stick episode on John Holmes, to be clear. Uh, Williams' ramblings are so crazy, some commentators are uh, worried not about the Denver International Airport, but about Mr. Tapley's actual soul. Shackle-free Jeff writes, Lord, I know this man is under a delusion. Please put it on the hearts of others to pray for him, Lord. This man is so learned and full of information. Please lift his delusion so he may be used by you and not by Satan. Mr. Tapley, right now, you are a tool and you do not know God. Oh, man, it's really disintegrating in the comment section. <laughs> I don't think Mr. Tapley knows much of anything, Shackle Free Jeff, uh, other than how to use YouTube, unfortunately. The William Tapleys of the world, these are the kind of people who believe and push Denver airport conspiracies. People who see rectangles as dicks. You know, people who see Satan and secrets and everything. People who, by and large, are the idiots of the internet. Idiots of the internet. So to sort of recap here, is the Denver airport some kind of secret NWO bunker slash Illuminati satanic art museum slash alien hotel slash, you know, testing facility slash underground city? No, of course not. It's a, it's a fucking airport. It's a big artsy airport, uh, which makes sense. Denver is an artsy town. You know, Lindsay and I have bought art in Denver, actually, that we have in our home right now, probably because we're Satanists. Uh, no, but it's a great city. You know, a lot of cool people. The DIA conspiracies just on a whole, just across the board, make absolutely no sense. If the airport and its backers had spent decades and billions of dollars, you know, hiding secret global plots and infrastructure, why jeopardize that work by putting a lot of, you know, obvious clues in plain sight? Why would they do top secret experiments at a place, you know, that's, that's another rumor. That aliens are doing experiments underneath there at a place that tens of millions of people tread over every year. Uh, hundreds of millions, perhaps, especially with, you know, uh, other you know, secret military installations, you know, at least underground military installations within 100 miles. You know, under the safety of a granite mountain. Why, why not just do it there? Come on. The DIA conspiracies were able to get some traction online because I think they just tie into conspiracies that already existed. Conspiracies, conspiracies much older than the airport, much older than any airport. That's how QAnon, all these conspiracies can really get going. They just quickly link to these other old conspiracies. Like as we've learned on times like over and over again, you know, people have worried about secret societies and the devil for a long, long time. Those conspiracies have existed for centuries. The Illuminati, you know, the real one started off as a secret club. So did the Freemasons, you know, clubs full of rituals, rituals that scare people, taught to be afraid of rituals. You know, they're of the devil. Many supposedly evil organizations just started out as clubs that often operated somewhat as a type of competition to religious institutions. You know, at least a perceived competition. You know, can't have that. The medieval Catholic church probably didn't want anyone, you know, taking those tithes and paying the Freemason dues instead with, a, with that money. That doesn't make, you know, the Freemasons and other clubs, it always, it always goes back to these places. It doesn't make them evil. Nothing evil about, you know, DIA. You know, just because you're not allowed to go explore the tunnels as you would like to, it doesn't make it nefarious. The only thing evil about the Denver International Airport is, you know, maybe being stuck there when, it, when you're when it snowed in and you can't make your connection and get home. 
Uh, in reality, the DIA, you know, it's actually one of the biggest, safest airports in the world. It, it's an incredible architectural and achie- engineering achievement. Excuse me. Um, love the DIA. I love their PR team. Love the way they've chosen to respond to all this madness. Uh, they've made a lot of videos about all this. They've given a lot of really good interviews. If, if you do a little searching, which I recommend if you're interested in this topic, on the Denver Airport Conspiracy, uh, you know, you'll find their videos. Several years ago, they gave up on trying to denounce all these conspiracy theories and they just leaned into it. They learned that the more they tried to respond, the more emails they got. And then when they, when they tried to ignore the conspiracists, it looked like they were hiding something and it added more fuel to the fire. So they decided to embrace it and have fun with it all. In 2018, some DIA spokespeople went out and trolled the conspiracy theorists hard. During a 650 to $770 million renovation to the airport's Great Hall, they erected walls to keep people out of the construction sites. And on these walls in the Jefferson, Jefferson Terminal, they put posters up poking fun at the conspiracy theories. Uh, I saw some uh, once when I flew into Denver for some shows. One sign read, since the airport's opening in 1995, there have been endless rumors and theories. People say our underground tunnels lead to secret meeting facilities for the world elite. Our blue horse is thought to be cursed. Some believe we are connected to the new world order, the Freemasons, that we are home to the lizard people. Uh, Another one jokes, what are we creating? You know, behind this uh, construction wall. A, more space for interesting artwork. B, a better airport experience. C, zombie cat lairs. Uh, Another has a picture of a UFO on it and says, cool new areas to hang out in or Area 52. Another questioned, what is happening behind this wall? A, gargoyle breeding grounds. B, a top secret Freemason meeting. Or C, an improved airport experience. (laughs) Another, I just love that they're just mocking them. uh, Another says, what are we doing? Uh, A, adding amazing new restaurants and bars. B, building an Illuminati headquarters, or C, remodeling the lizard people there. Uh, These questions were next to a a picture of a lizard person. Uh, Perhaps my favorite read, coming soon. A, a secret portal to the underworld. B, streamlined security. Or C, another misunderstood mural. (laughs) And all these uh, messages, uh, or all these, you know, little signs at the bottom had a message that said, learn the truth at denfiles.com a website that lists all the theories. Uh, They've since changed the address to that website a bit. To find it now, or the information that was on that website, you go to flydenver.com slash greathall slash denfiles. Since 2016, the denfiles has featured all sorts of stuff like online exhibits about the most controversial theories, uh, info about hosted events related to conspiracies. Uh, They once on the homepage asked, so what's to come? Are we expanding the bunkers, revamping the lizard lairs, giving the gargoyles a much needed makeover? Eh, not exactly. But if that's what you want to believe, we're not going to hinder your imagination. So dream on, travelers. Dream on. I love it. Good for them for having fun with that. And uh, and many have chosen and continue to choose to dream on when it comes to DIA conspiracies. The legend of the Denver airport being a hotbed of Illuminati secrets persists. Uh, let's revisit this legend now in today's top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, Blucifer. A 32-foot-tall stallion standing at the entrance of the Denver airport sadly did kill its creator. Uh, Blucifer was finished posthumously before being installed in 2008. Other than that one murder, uh, doesn't seem like a bad horse. Blucifer's glowing red eyes, blue skin, based on a local Colorado legend about a powerful and mythical stallion not based on anything, you know, demonic. Number two, many visitors and locals to the Denver area don't understand what many of the artists 
featured in the DIA were trying to say with their art. Several pieces have had to be moved, stored, or vigorously defended against accusations of one-world government symbolism, occult-slash-devil worship, or other strange claims. Art is subjective, and when there is room for subjectivity and speculation, it seems inevitably some people are just going to see dicks and devils. Number three, there is indeed a vast array of tunnels and even some buildings under the Denver airport, but uh, it wasn't built for the New World Order. And it's not four and a half, you know, square miles in size. It was built for something far more boring, luggage. The DIA designers had hoped to create the world's most intricate baggage moving system. Instead, they built a giant $300 million baggage abuse machine. Number four, there is nothing weird about the DIA time capsule not being opened until 2094. It's 100 years from when it was hidden. It would be weird if it was supposed to be opened at any other time. Uh, Number five, new info. We talked a lot about the DIA's strange tunnel system. Did you know that there are people who dig tunnels as a hobby, like long tunnels? It's just called hobby tunneling. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, A bit weird. Usually, hobby tunnelers dig their tunnels by hand using little equipment. Some can spend years, even decades, to achieve a degree of completion. In the mid-60s, British civil engineer William Little dug a wine cellar under his Hackney property. Having done so, he said that he, quote, found a taste for the thing, and he kept on digging for some 40 years. (laughs) Eventually, several tunnels on multiple levels led in all directions out from his house, under the property, and the surrounding grounds, some of them 60 feet long under neighbors' properties, Uh, Well, part of me thinks this is silly. Another much bigger part of me thinks this is fucking awesome. I have tunnel envy uh, after numerous complaints by neighbors and a power supply interruption. And after creating a large sinkhole and some nearby pavement, uh, he was evicted. And the the tunnels were filled with concrete. Uh, He quite literally, single-handedly, almost brought down his neighborhood. Uh, Another digger, Harrison Dyer, saw tunneling as a form of exercise. Dyer described hobby tunneling as a kind of exercise for him, saying, some men play golf, I dig tunnels. In the early 20th century, this dude's tunnels were discovered when a truck broke through into a labyrinth of tunnels near his former home in Washington, D.C. That's awesome. Seymour Cray, an American engineer and supercomputer architect, said that digging tunnels helped him solve, uh, you know, problems. He said, while I'm digging in the tunnel, the elves will often come to me with solutions. We don't know how serious he was with that statement. Kind of a weird guy. Uh, Who else is tunneling out there? And what will conspiracy theorists have to say about them when their tunnels are finally found? Is someone tunneling under you right now? And does that tunnel connect to DIA? All tunnels lead to the Denver airport. Time suck. Top five takeaways. DIA conspiracies have been sucked. Uh, That one was uh, felt fun and light to me. I I enjoyed it. Uh, Thank you to the Bad Magic Productions team for all their help in making this suck and the others. And also apologies to new researcher who's going to be helping out here and there, Olivia Lee, who led the research on the Israel Keys suck last week. And I did not credit her last week. My mistake. I fucked up. Caught it after the episode was released. Felt like an ass. So sorry, Olivia. Uh, You did a great job giving Sophie uh, and then myself a a lot of great info to draw from. You put together a, a great timeline. Heavy on the info. I liked uh, Queen of Bad Magic, Lindsay Cummins. Uh, thank you to her, Reverend Dr. Joe Paisley, the script keeper, Zach Flannery, Sophie, the fact source for Sevens, Bit Elixir, Logan, the art warlock, Keith, running badmagicmerch.com, working on our socials with Liz Hernandez. Uh, and again, the new improved customer service email if you're having any problems, store at badmagicproductions.com. Thanks to all those in the Cult of Curious private Facebook group. Uh, thanks to Liz Hernandez and the All Seen Eyes running that Facebook group. Thanks to everyone over at Discord. 
Uh, also, round eight of Time Suck Trivia starts today. Who won round seven? Not 100% sure. But when I recorded this suck on January 28th, Bodie 210 was in the lead with 5,678 points. Congrats to you if you did win it. If not, congrats, congrats to whoever passed Bodie 210 at the last second. You'll be getting that Cowboy Pigeon Trophy, you know, certificate, merch, discount, little uh, I, gift card. Why can't I think of that word every week? Uh, hope you're having fun playing trivia, everybody. Uh, next week on Time Suck, we go from silly to really dark again. Uh, we'll be covering the Armenian Genocide. When World War I began, there were over 2 million Armenians living in the Ottoman Empire. Massive empire that controlled much of Southeastern Europe, Western Asia, Northern Africa for over 500 years. The Armenians had lived in Western Asia since the 6th century BCE. And then a new political party came to power in 1913, the Young Turks. Or the Committee of Union and Progress. And they would change that in horrifying ways. Beginning on the eve of World War I, they would systematically deprive Armenians of political freedoms, their media, their weapons, and their property. They ordered the mass deportation of hundreds of thousands of Armenians, keeping some for slave labor while other Armenians were forced to march into the desert where they starved, died of illnesses, uh, you know, were, were beaten, killed in concentration camps. On these marches, Armenians would be killed by Ottoman agents in brutal ways until roads overflowed with their bodies, rivers ran red with their blood, and the international community pretty much stood by, watched, and did not interfere. They condemned the atrocities, but took no military action to stop them. Uh, there were some shining moments of resistance, which we'll also get into, but this suck is mostly a look at how brutal and callous the meat sack mind can be, why it's so important to acknowledge these atrocities so they hopefully do not happen again. The first genocide of the 20th century, the brutal treatment of the Armenians, and more next week on Time Suck. And now let's head on over to some Time Sucker updates that are, that are not that dark that are much happier than the Armenian Genocide. Updates. Get your time sucker updates. Uh, first update coming in from Moppin, Oregon, where I apparently have a sizable ta- time suck fan base. Surprised and grateful. Uh, Moppin resident and super sucker Michael Whitaker writes, Hello to the time suck family. My fiance and I, uh, my fiance and I are big fans. For me, it's time suck. For her, it's scared to death. She's a creeper. I'm a peeper. So our preferences make sense. Uh, we live in Moppin, Oregon, and my fiance, who was raised here, has a connection to this week's latest episode. You know, referring to last week, Israel Keys, of course. Though she didn't know any of the Keys family, she does remember the FBI manhunt for him. They sent field agents to the Moppin area to see if he had fled down here during the time of his final kidnapping and murder. That definitely got a small town's rumor mill going, and sometimes his name still comes up. When you brought up our town's name and that it was so remote, I was waiting for you to make some rednecky podunk comment followed by, I doubt I have much of a following there anyway. Probably won't lose any listeners or something like that. I, I feel like I have said stuff like that. I have said stuff like that. Uh, but I don't think I said it about mopping. Uh, truth be told, though, in our small 400-person town, you do have a good following. Uh, for the record, I do believe the Keys family left this town because of too much sinning. Also, as you said, uh, it's a raft guide town after all. And let's just say they like to have a good time. My fiance, my fiance and I know this firsthand because that's how we met. And we didn't wait to tie the knot before we got down to some good old sinning, let alone <laughs> learn each other's names. If you and the family ever want to go rafting with us, please let us know. That goes out to anyone in the suck first. We work for all-star rafting and just request either of us. Even though we've grown up and gotten real jobs, we still come back for celebrity appearances. I've had moments when raft guiding, when someone will ask, doesn't a serial killer live out here? Referring to Israel Keys, but I've always thought that was a stupid fucking question. Like, how, how do I answer that? Yeah, that's Johnny up the street, but he only kills when the moon is full and the cops just let him be. Hail Nimrod, your fans, Michael and Lauren. P.S. If you do, uh, by chance, read this on the show, give a shout out if you could to Jordan. She just had her second child and is one of your mopping fans. Why Jordan? 
Uh, congrats on the uh, second child. Thanks for repping the suck and mopping. Thanks for the message, Michael. Thank you, Lauren. Listen to Bad Magic Productions. Man, raft guy, what a fun job. I did some whitewater rafting this past summer out of Riggins, Idaho, where I grew up in the Salmon River and such a good time. Uh, glad I didn't go too hard on mopping. Uh, sounds like you damn hippie, free-loving rafters pushed the Keys family right out of town. Thank God. What else would have happened if you hadn't? Uh, I bet they still talk, uh, yeah, uh, a lot about that stuff around there. What a, what a crazy story. Hope you keep, uh, you know, uh, getting, sneaking in some raft guides and mopping, sneaking in some fun trips. Uh, appreciate the offer as well. Especially appreciate you extending it to uh, any other listeners. Hope mopping keeps on sucking. Now for another crazy time suck serial killer connection. Sent in by another Michael. Top shelf sack Michael Morrow, a.k.a. Mo, writes, Hey, Dan, I've been meaning to send you this email for quite a while, but three kids under five years old in a pandemic have definitely taken a toll on my free time. I became a time sucker in June of 2019. I'd been a fan of your comedy for years, was looking for new podcasts to fill my commute with. The first episode I sucked was the Darwin Awards, and I was instantly hooked. I started working my way through the catalog in no particular order. Uh, the next month in July, I was helping my best friend and his family move from LA to Boise. Had two days of driving to fill with something. That something was time suck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we got them all moved. And while I was there, decided to go visit my cousin who lives in Meridian. We were catching up and I got to telling him about this awesome new podcast I was listening to. That I just listened to the Richard Ramirez episode. My cousin's eyes got wide and he gave me a dude. He began to tell me about his family's encounter with the Night Stalker. My cousin was 11 years old at the time, living in Diamond Bar, California, with his dad, stepmom, and younger half-brothers. On the morning of August 8, 1985, he awoke to cops swarming his house inside and out. When his parents had woken up earlier in the morning, they noticed a picnic table bench had been moved underneath the window in the kitchen. Yeah, God, that's fucking terrifying. Uh, which had been jimmied open and dirty-ass footprints going through the living room and halfway up the stairs. Jesus. And yeah. Knowing that Ramirez's MO was to scream people awake in their bedrooms out of a deep sleep, he was likely trying to sneak upstairs quietly. What he didn't expect was my cousin's very pregnant stepmom being awake in the middle of the night, pacing back and forth in the upstairs hallway, trying to get the tingling in her hands and feet to go away. This must have spooked Ramirez, sending back out the window he had come through. Little did they know at that moment, uh, you know, one or all of them may have narrowly avoided a brutal and deadly encounter. Uh, Richard Ramirez left their house, strolled down the hill a couple blocks, killed uh, Elias Abawath that same night. On another note, that's, uh, that is so crazy to come that close. On another note, you had mentioned to Suck a while back that you wanted to become a more informed citizen. In that spirit, may I recommend to Suck about American political corruption, uh, specifically surrounding two Supreme Court decisions that opened the floodgates for corporations to pump unlimited money into our government and fuck over regular people. Uh, Buckley versus Vallejo in 1976 and First National Bank of Boston versus Bilotti in 1978. I know court decisions can be dry and not very entertaining, but if anyone can find a way to make it interesting, I believe it's you and the Time Suck team. That's very nice. It is critical that we understand where the problems of our current political landscape come from and how they might be addressed through action by everyday citizens working together. Uh, my love to the team. Keep doing what you do, Mo. Well, thank you, Mo. Uh, appreciate you tossing a suggestion on what sounds like an interesting topic. Not familiar with those court decisions. Sounds like some interesting cases about uh, lobbying, opening the floodgates to allow lobbyists to kind of take over. Uh, what a close call with Ramirez. Man, dude's getting a lot of press again right now thanks to the new Netflix series. What a brutal son of a bitch that dude was. Not nearly as organized as Israel Keys. Uh, and as bad as Keyes was, I just, I mean, Ramirez incredibly was, was much more violent, man. Uh, glad, glad, obviously 
that you guys avoided tragedy there. Keep on sucking mo. Uh, the suck serial uh, killer connection continues now with shock sucker Alice Christensen, who writes, I knew Mary Cooper. She was my elementary school librarian. And Mary Cooper, if you don't remember or didn't hear, last week's Israel Keys suck, uh, you know, one of his alleged victims. Not proven, but, you know, they think. Hi, Dan, Lord, ruler supreme of the mushmouth motherfuckers. Uh, oh, man. It's, it can't be helped. I try so hard to pronounce so appropriately. It's impossible. I'm sorry for not having a more savvy intro to share with you, but your episode on Israel Keys has me feeling like I got gut punched. Mary Cooper was the librarian at my elementary school in North Seattle from 1999 to 2000 when I was in fifth grade. My mom had switched my brother and I to this school. I had a tough time there because I was new and would only be at the school for a year before going to middle school. I didn't know any of the kids there. I would get picked on a lot. Ah, it sucks. Uh, one day, Mary saw me reading during recess, asked me if I wanted to come to the library to read my book so uh, the book wouldn't get wet. She would let me read in the library during recess fairly often from then on, and it was a welcome respite from a lot of shittier things in life that I couldn't control due to being 10 years old. Mary and Susanna were murdered the summer between my junior and senior years of high school. I couldn't bring myself to go to their memorial, but I had friends who did. They told me so many people showed up at the high school gymnasium that it overflowed. Hearing her name, uh, that of she and her daughter, and that she and her daughter were murdered, brought up a flood of memories I hadn't much thought about in a decade. Sorry that this email doesn't really have a point, but I wanted you, I, but I wanted to write in with my personal connection to that episode. If you do read this on the air, could you please wish my most excellent meat sack of a boyfriend, Jason, a happiest of birthdays? We celebrated four years of dating in January, and his birthday is the day after Valentine's Day. His butt is the physical embodiment of Triple M's luxurious vocals. That's a great sentence. That's fun. Three out of five crystal stars. What? Uh, wouldn't change a thing. Alice in Seattle. Ah, you are sweet, Alice. Uh, happy birthday, Jason. Hope you and that sweet, sweet ass of yours have a nice celebration with Alice. Hail, Lucifina. Uh, crazy about your connection with Mary Cooper. Man. And again, don't know for sure that she was a Keys victim, but yeah, seems very likely and definitely a murder victim. So, I mean, in the end, does it really matter? It's just fucking sad. Uh, sounded like a fantastic meat sack. One hiking trip, you know, turned her, uh, you know, whole family situation to tragedy, man. Her and her daughter, how incredibly unlucky. Hope all of you listening are luckier in life than poor Mary and her daughter. And, and again, thank you uh, very much, Alice, for sending in that connection. And let's just keep the serial connections going today. Uh, one more. Super sucker Dan Narona writes, salutations, excuse me, salutations, master sucker, hailer of Nimrod, praiser of Bojangles. Third nipple. Uh, praiser of Bojangles, third nipple. Uh, first, I wanted to say thank you for this podcast and the community of Meat Sacks it's brought together. Secondly, I wanted to tell you a story that my mom recently told me for the first time about the night she met Ted Bundy. We live in a Northwest, uh, we were living in Northwest Florida up in the Panhandle. She attended Florida State University in the late 70s. And she recalled to me on a cold January night in 1978 when she was walking back to her dorm, uh, he loved the co-eds, from a study group, that had met that evening, rounding a corner, she saw a guy who she described as very handsome, but said he looked very anxious. Uh, she asked if he was okay, and she said he just locked eyes with her and froze. His gaze seemed to look right through her, she said, as if she, uh, she wasn't even there. She was instantly uneasy, but unable to move or speak. She said it felt like an eternity. They both just stood there, locking eyes, minutes thrown by, them just staring at each other, just minute by minute by minute. Bomb, they keep holding on. That was uh, in the message. Salute the Yacht Rock God, Triple M. Praise good boy Bojangles. Holla at me, Lucifina. Hail Nimrod. Hopefully I got you with this one for the few times you've gotten me with being Triple M. Thanks to you and the whole crew for your hard work. Keep on sucking. Well, thank you, Dan. Always good to sneak into Triple M. 
And man, how fucking lucky uh, that Bundy didn't follow up with your mom. I mean, that was, you know, the, was the final murder spree days. It, it appears as if I would guess that he was thinking about it. Uh, man, if he would have just, you know, decided to go left when he went right instead, sounds like he wouldn't be here. What a weird life moment for her to come again that close, kind of like with the Richard Ramirez situation. Makes me wonder, uh, you know, stories like these, who I've locked eyes with in life, who I've walked past, who's been in my neighborhood. You ever think about that? Like, think about all the strangers out in public that you've just had some little moment with, any little moment at all, you know, waiter, waitress, uh, some kind of customer service interactions, just some kind of excuse me as you walk by, just lock eyes with a second. I feel like there's a decent chance at least one of them was a killer, right? Out of all the people you see, Ugh. Okay, now for something inspiring, not unsettling. Coming in from Turning It Around Time Sucker, Duncan Harrison, who writes, Hey, Dan, wanted to say I'm a huge fan of your stand-up. Have been uh, since my buddies and I would watch Crazy with a capital F back in sixth grade. I'm fucking old. I'm 20 now, and like most, had a pretty rocky 2020. I lost a coworker very suddenly back in April, and it left me in a real rough spot. He was a healthy 27-year-old, and the abrupt loss of a good friend set an abysmal tone for 2020 for me. I bought a handful of books to try and lift my spirits, maybe find some answers to how I could feel better. One of them being Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. But being incredibly busy working for a small business, I just never got around to reading it. Then at the end of December, we were told that all our stores were closing. Yeah, it sucks. It was a horrible nightcap to a painful year. That's when I saw Frankl was the 2020 recap topic and I took it as a sign to finally get around to finishing that book. And for that, I thank you. Revamping my personal ideology from cynical nihilism. Oh man, that resonates with me. Uh, I adopted in 2020 has helped me make a transition to a more positive life and helped encourage me to get back on track with my nursing education. I'm starting CNA courses in a couple weeks and then getting back into the swing of my nursing associate's degree. Looking forward to studying to the suck this year and thanks for helping a cynical Gen Z chump find a little more meaning in this chaotic world. Might even be able to put some of this uh, CNA dough towards being a space lizard so I can wipe the floor with some fellow suckers in that trivia challenge. Keep on sucking, you mushmouth motherfucker. And remember, peanut butter is the answer. Here's to meaning Duncan. Duncan, what a great message. Good on you. I mean, fuck yeah. Get that degree. Find that meaning. See how much shit you can accomplish. You know, see how much you can make this rock a little more inhabitable for us all. I love it so much. Hail Nimrod to you. Bojangles wagging his tail. Lucifina looking impressed. Eyeballing you. Maybe checking out your sweet ass. Happy for you, young dude. Now let's end on some comedy. Huge striper fan. <laughs> President of the Striper Fan Club, Caleb Smith writes, Dear Suckmaster, I'm gonna do my best to keep this short. Let me start by saying that I'm a police officer in a small Midwest town. Dude, I, I fucking got this. I laughed so hard when I first read this. I felt the need to inform you that while patrolling, I was listening to the Israel Keys suck. We received a vague 911 call and upon our arrival, had to fight a hallucinating meth head. During the fight, there were no thoughts of, this is dangerous or we need to get this person in handcuffs. The only sound running through my head was to hell with the devil over and over and over again because I don't know the rest of the song. This same chorus has subsequently been stuck in my head for roughly the last 48 hours and counting. You're a cruel motherfucker. <laughs> Thanks for all that you do. Before I close, if I can give a shout out to my brother, Nate. Uh, he's a hardworking foster parent, has been an officer for 15 plus years. And without him, I wouldn't be doing what I do now. I introduced him to Time Suck and Is We Dumb? Yes. And between the two, uh, we always have something to talk and joke about. Just please give him a reminder to beware of the shrub sluts. Thanks again for all that you do, all the hard work you put into your shows. Hail Nimrod. Praise Bojangles, your loyal space lizard, Caleb. Nate, stay out of the woods. The woods are littered with shrub sluts waiting to destroy your happy home. 
And thanks for being a foster parent. How special. And thanks for what you do, Caleb. Keep that town of yours safe and to hell with the devil. Oh, damn it. <laughs> that was that was supposed to be a lot cooler if I would have hit this. place come on i still got it in thanks for sharing that story uh and also you know for uh for you know just sharing the suck and uh did i, did I mention today that i'm bummed that my dad joke didn't work last week with the israel case suck i just i thought that'd be so much funnier than, than it ended up being you know just sneaking in like he was maybe the accomplice okay it was just me uh thanks everybody for the messages i'm gonna get out of here i've i've i'm, I'm rambling now Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. Thanks for sucking in 2021, everybody. Let's keep it going. Uh, please don't email or IM anyone working at the DIA this week about their secret New World Order underground city or lizard people or other aliens or, you know, dicks or satanic artwork or anything other than just, you know, travel. And if you are traveling, why don't you throw on some headphones and just keep on sucking? <laughs> <laughs> they fucking bought it. Good job, sheeple. Keep sucking our lizard dicks. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.